This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 57. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Chu. Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. This is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of digital transformation. We have new episodes that come out every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, as well as all the audio podcast platforms like uh, Google, Spotify, Amazon, etc. So be sure to check us out and subscribe to the audio podcast platforms as well. And we have an exciting episode for you today. We've got a few things we're going to cover. Um, we're going to cover, first of all, some hot topics that Kyler's researched and some good talking points we'll have related to uh, burnout in the tech space or among tech workers. We're going to talk about how CRM systems may become obsolete in the future, and I'm super curious to hear more about that because I, I have no idea where you're going to take us on that one, Kyler, but I, I'd love to hear that topic. Strapping. Yeah, just uh, throwing a bunch of curveballs at us here today. Um, disrupting our, our norm in our world, thinking how could CRM systems possibly become obsolete, but maybe they will be. Um, we're also going to talk about how the supply chain crisis is affecting the furniture industry more than most. And we'll also talk about the metaverse in China and some investments that ch- the Chinese government is making in the metaverse. So we're going to cover those topics in the first segment. And then later in the show, we're going to have our first guest, who is uh, John Heiliger, who's the director of workforce management and analytics at Lockheed Martin, which is a large aerospace and defense company based in North America. And we're going to talk about with John the concept of digital transformation and how it aligns with workforce management, HR, analytics. So really focusing on the people side of things, but not so much just from a change management perspective, more from an HR and workforce management, workforce planning, workforce strategy, Um, Some things to think about as you grow your organization, whether you're going through a digital transformation or not, quite frankly, this is something that will be very relevant to you and relevant to most organizations. So we're excited to have John on the show later today. And then finally, last but not least, later in the show, after we have John on the show, we're going to play you another uh, clip or another keynote from our Digital Stratosphere Conference, which we hosted in early February of 2022. And we're going to have Teresa Richardson on, and we're going to show her keynote presentation where she talks about change management. So a uh, very people-centric uh, episode, I'd say, here today. Uh, but before we jump in and, and bring on these other guests, what are some of these hot topics and what's all this crazy talk about the metaverse and tech workers burning out and CRM systems becoming obsolete? What, what have you got for Yeah, me? it's a trigger for you, the CRM it's, system. It I totally think. is. Okay. I refuse so we'll, to So we'll it. just ease into it. Let's, let's talk about burnout um, a little bit right now. So since the pandemic, obviously, there's been uh, a heightened remote working culture, which inherently means more technology within employees' day-to-day workflows. So something that they've noticed is is tech workers in general have been more um, attributed to a burnout or just an overall fatigue. They're implementing new systems on a faster timeline than 
um, used to, which obviously third stage knows a lot about. So in a recent survey, um, this was in the UK and the US, um, it was part of a customer trends report. It, 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 geez, it, um, it showcased that 64 leaders or 64% of leaders um, surveyed felt as though they had a full burnout team in their tech industry in the last 12 months. And there's something I wanted to talk to you specifically about, Eric, is it seems as though there's a, a real silo or a real hot spot for these burnouts, specifically within cybersecurity um, and people that work within that overall industry, because now people have experienced not only a forced digital transformation that makes them have to have certain security clearances within a remote workforce, but also we've seen those heightened malware cyber cybersecurity attacks. Um, so I wondered if you might give us your feedback on cybersecurity workforce and if you feel like that that burnout is definitely a real thing in kind of today's current climate. Yeah, I've been reading more and more about how burnout in general is a real thing. And in fact, I want to uh, that is one of the topics I want to cover with John later today. Uh, when we talk about workforce management and how to navigate this post-pandemic world we're in. Um, but I could see how cybersecurity would be particularly prone to burnout because of all the pressure that that sub-vertical within technology is is uh, under. What did I start with? What, what pressure they're under in that, in that space. Um, that's what I think is probably driving that because you have so many targets and uh, larger organizations are being targeted for cybersecurity breaches. A lot of them are suffering from cybersecurity breaches. So it's putting even more demand on that skill set, um, not only to retain those people, but then once they're at an organization, you know, they're under a lot of pressure to uh, preserve the um, integrity of the, the security of the system. So I could see that being the case. Uh, I wasn't aware that there was a particular strain among cybersecurity professionals in general, but I, I suppose it's not it's not surprising now that you say it. Yeah, absolutely. A few notable companies such as Coinbase, which is a, um, a cryptocurrency company, um, has addressed this intensity of workload by rolling out something they call that's the four recharge weeks at the beginning of the year. Um, other bigger, specifically cybersecurity agencies have talked about um, the need for adopting non-work activities which I know you and John kind of talk about that mindfulness and that overall health mentally and physically of your workforce. And it seems as though that's what a lot of companies are implementing within their overall culture to really kind of buck this, this trend, which is so interesting to me. And I'd love to hear your feedback on it because a lot of times we can see IT as kind of, you know, those people that sit in cubicles all day, they have, you know, a set of standardized processes and this is what they do. And, they don't always stereotypically tend to be kind of the touchy-feely type, um, which a lot of these strategies humanize them. Um, is that something that you think we'll continue to see as a trend of just kind of IT soften around really, you know, looking at what's best for my people? I hope so. I wasn't aware that that was sort of a underlying uh, trend or, or currency running under the, or undercurrent underneath the, the surface, but um I think it's a great trend if that's what's happening. I, I think it's long overdue. I, I, I suppose it's better late than never. And it, it, I suppose it doesn't matter why why we're heading that direction, if, if, whether it's forced or not. But I think it's something that's long overdue in terms of technology needing to bridge the gap with 
people and the process side of the equation. So I, I think it's a welcome, in my view, that's a, that's a very positive thing. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to your CRM and understand why they're obsolete. And I, I will say that this is a little bit of clickbait, <laughs> the title. Okay. So we're, it's a little bit of a stretch in my opinion, but it, it's important to talk about. So we talk about um, customer relationship management systems and understanding what that means. Um, and this research group talked about that we have this up and coming savvy customers that don't want to be in things like automations or be involved in kind of data storage. They're you know, all about privacy and, and that type of thing. So this, um, this article kind of argues that customers are really craving authenticity, authenticity within communications from brands, within sharing personal information. And so they feel as though CRM systems are going to have to evolve to meet the customer in those levels um, through things like automations that are optimized to be specific to what the customer is doing through things like predictive analytics and AI, uh, as opposed to just a core CRM system. So do you feel better about that or not really? I do. I, I, I uh, took a deep breath uh, now that I understood that you're not saying the CRM is really going away. It's just that it's, it's changing uh, the, the demands on CRM or the needs or the, the goals that it needs to enable are, are changing. Um, no, I think I think it's a good thing, and I think that that's something that uh, organizations struggle with is that sort of trade-off between the scale that you get from having CRM and marketing automation and some of that stuff that really allows you to reach a larger audience. You know, you have to temper that with the personalization and, and speaking to an individual or a group or a series of individuals rather than just one mass message or one tone or one uh, marketing angle you're pursuing. So uh, I think it's a good, good, uh, good approach. I'd be curious to hear though, uh, over time, unless you know the answer now, uh, but I'd be curious to know how AI could influence that. Like if AI somehow knows that, you know, Kyler, you've got young kids and therefore, you know, you might have a different mindset than I might because my kids are a little bit older and I'm a male. And, you know, there's all these things that, that separate us that might require different communications. I'd be curious to see or understand how AI could potentially enable that or maybe how it is already enabling that in some cases. Well, I do know the answer and it is that Alexa is listening to everything that we say and talk about. I, I think I, I strongly believe that. I think, I think something's going on there. You know, I have a, <laughs> I, we, so I have to tell this quick story, total, total diversion yeah. really quick along those lines, because this is such a weird story. I told my, my son about it last night. We were watching my younger son, is uh, just now we we got him into Stranger Things, the the Netflix oh, cool. series. Yeah, and we my wife and I had already watched like the first three seasons, and we just read how the fourth season's coming out. So we um, we introduced him to it. We tried to introduce it to him again because when we first introduced it to him like four years ago, he got terrified. Which in yeah. hindsight, that was a terrible idea to try and <laughs> convince him to watch Stranger Things when he was like seven or eight or whatever. But now that he's twelve, he really likes it. So we were watching the episode where. Um, there, there's a couple episodes where they play that song, Should I Stay or Should I Go, by The Clash. And it's like a recurring song that has a meaning in the, in the plot. But, um, and I love that song. And so I was telling him, uh, when I first watched that show, I, we had watched those, that episode or two that had that song in it. And it was during the summer. And I, and I went to walk my dogs right after we finished watching it. And I put my, my iPod on, or my iPhone, iPod. I, was, I did have an iPad back in the 
you know, early 2000s. Back What's back that? Back. What's an iPod? <laughs> yeah, you're too no, young I'm to just remember just... that. <laughs> I'm but so I go to play my music library on shuffle and the first song that came up was should I stay or should I go it was the weirdest thing and so I was convinced that Apple somehow knew that I just watched Stranger Things or that maybe I was humming along to should I stay or should I go and it played that song for me so anyway it's a long-winded way of saying I agree with you I think Alexa and Apple are all they're all listening for sure yeah <laughs> well we have Alexas in in my house and and my husband is so paranoid about cybersecurity that I the other day I was I was accidentally reading well, I, I guess it was an accident. I was reading my credit card number out loud as I was putting it into um, you know, buying something. And he's like, We gotta cancel all the cards, we gotta change our name, we gotta move because <laughs> Alexa heard us. And now my three year old, if Alexa might answer you, like if the cues she hears, like you might say something similar, he'll go, Alexa stop listening to us i'm like you've created a monster <laughs> the paranoia is real but that's funny next time i see your husband because he does work with us both yeah. uh, here at third stage i will make sure to mention that i saw your credit card number out on the dark web yeah you might want to yeah. think about canceling yeah. your credit cards just to oh, see man. if i get a reaction out of them there yeah if we could like transfuse our blood types change our fingerprint like it's all gotta go but right. you know <laughs> I, we do have very secure i don't know <laughs> whatever he puts us on so but, you know, speaking of, of those types of um, shifts in the overall market, not only from consumer behavior, but also how we've had other um, niche areas or industries that have experienced a forced transformation, um, you know, very similar to evolving systems. I was looking at specifically the furniture industry, which has been a, a main industry that hasn't seemed to been able to tackle the supply chain crisis, because if you think about it, you know, it's very big raw materials um, and then the, just the price of, say, shipping and not making them domestically is just through the roof. And to give you some data around that, um, there's companies that have paid as much as $20,000 per shipping container. So you can fit maybe a dozen couches within the shipping container compared to and this is from Asia to the UK compared to maybe $1,500 um, that they, they had before. So they have to inevitably absorb that trickle down cost, but it's it's so absorbent that they, they can't sell their product anymore. It would be like, you know, walking in to buy a $2,000 chair and now you have a $40,000 chair. Obviously that's not something that most consumers can absorb that overall inflation. So because of this, um, China has become the main furniture source, so much so that they've been in, you know, the hundred billions of furniture trade. And we see places like Canada, which is a, a very large country, down into the lower $3 billion in, in furniture trade. So this huge gap between countries. And I, I wondered if we could ask you, you know, obviously a supply chain expert, if you are in kind of this area in which you are sourcing big, you know, substantial goods that you've gotten from different suppliers, or maybe that your, your manufacturing facility is not domestic, what are some things that you can do, you know, to kind of help? Um, obviously, you can't change your prices that much, but is there something that these companies might be able to do to help um, solve these types of huge disruptions? Well, I think that what you're seeing is that organizations now are realizing the hard way in many cases that the cost benefit of offshoring production to any country, whether it's China or just 
any other region of the world, you, oftentimes the reason you would do that is because either A, you don't have the, the raw materials or the labor, the competencies to be able to do it in your home country or home region, or more commonly because of cost savings. So, you know, the U.S. is known for importing a lot from China, as is Europe and other parts of the world. And, and again, it's not just China. A lot of lower cost countries um, have benefited from that. But what you're seeing now, in this case, it sounds like a good example where I think now you, you start to get furniture companies in other industries as well, where they start thinking, how do we shift more of this production closer to home? Maybe not in our immediate country if we don't have the right raw materials or resources, but maybe somewhere closer than, you know, thousands of miles away, or, or at the very least, maybe we don't, you know, maybe we look for a way to not have to ship on water or whatever the case may be. Although tr- shipping or um, trucking isn't much cheaper, you know, trucking is having the same problem. There's shortages of truckers and um, trucks themselves and containers and all that stuff. So um, anyway, so I, I don't know. I think it just is forcing, it's a good extreme example of how companies throughout the world are sort of having to rethink their entire supply chain. The, the supply chains they've spent 20 or 30 years building and optimizing, built for lower cost and you know higher throughput and all that stuff. Now all of a sudden you look at your supply chain and say, well, it's not lower cost. We're not moving stuff faster. We're actually slower than ever and the costs are higher than ever. Um, so I think that's where companies are is they're rethinking it like how do we just almost like redesigning your entire supply chain in some cases i would imagine yeah absolutely and in your operations right you know it's very easy to say well please move your you know everything domestically and then all your problems will be solved well that's way easier said than done you know the amount of capital that you have to find how you manufacture that and then the skill sets to do so and all those materials they come from somewhere else too um so you know it's just a a huge kind of mess right now and how inflated that specific industry is. And I think we've talked about that in episodes. We've really seen that in manufacturing. We're talking about furniture specifically here and overall technology with, you know, that proprietary chip assembly when it comes to if they're putting in cars or what that means that you really have to kind of own your intellectual property and figure out a way to kind of keep it close to the vest, if you will, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it's a really good point. I think it's just a matter of time before, you know, the costs keep escalating, supply chains keep, the bottlenecks keep growing. At some point, there's going to be a tipping point that says, yeah, it's a huge expense or, or a huge capital investment for us to build a factory or to bring more of that production closer to home. Um, at some point, it is going to cross that um, cost benefit uh, threshold. The other thing too, is it, 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 I think it reaches even further than just the supply chain. I think it goes all the way back now to product development, product design. You know, sure, that's a great, great point. If, yeah. you're in, if you're in a country that you know doesn't have easy access to plastic, for example, and a lot of your uh, a lot of your components or your uh, materials are, are dependent on plastic, maybe you rethink. Well, is it plastic we should be use, using? Could we be using metal or wood or whatever? You know, whatever is easier or lower cost for you to get, depending on where in the world you are and what what it is you do as an organization, but I think you really, you know, it's, it's, it gets back to that whole point of sort of, you know, the, the forced digital transformation and rethinking your entire end to end processes and understanding, you know, how can we get to the root cause of how to fix this problem? Maybe the problem is not to build a new factory closer to home that can build the same thing that we've already been building. Maybe we have to rethink our product so that we can build something that's more aligned with, with our limitations or parameters. Yeah, that's a great point. Like really, you know, starting at zero and say kind of how do we, do this, which companies haven't had to do, you know, in in the very recent future. So speaking of futuristic views, um, 
So recently, uh, some Chinese companies have spent about $8 trillion with a T. I think that's the first time I ever said trillion on this show, um, on the metaverse opportunity. The interesting part about that when we talk about China is that it needs to be very highly regulated. And so a, a lot of speculation around like, why would you invest in you know this this almost intangible idea uh, by acquiring apps, by acquiring a different additional virtual reality companies or gaming companies when it has to be so incredibly regulated for the Chinese government. And so just to back up a little bit, we obviously saw Mark Zuckerberg change Facebook, Instagram, spend billions of dollars to rebrand all of his companies as Meta to kind of show that forefront. And it, it honestly, to me, and maybe I just don't understand it, but I quote, it has no concrete definition, but it's largely taken to mean virtual worlds that people will be playing and living in. And to me, Eric, I just like, as a business owner, I would say you're one of the most innovative people I know, but could you imagine spending billions of dollars on something that has no concrete definition? Yeah. <laughs> and is it like, I know it's real, but is it going to be around in 10 years? Let's just say, I mean, or is it sort of a flash in the pan sort of thing where it's, it's super cool right now because it's so new, but then, you know, 10 years from now, everyone's sort of looking back in the old days, you know, back in the early 2020s, remember that whole metaverse thing and how, you know, and I don't know. Nostalgia. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we'll be doing the show in the metaverse soon and we'll, you know, be eating our words. But it's it's just so interesting to me that you could spend that amount of money. Um, but looking at China specifically, I know you do a lot with um, governments and and that type of compliance and regulation area. And I wanted to read you a quote from a Chinese market analysis. Um, analysis that talked about China. So China knows just when and where it needs to stay to stay its hand close enough so that it can keep a careful watch, but not to the point where it could irreversibly harm the industry. So it's like kind of they're teetering on this line of they want to own, again, a, apparently this very valuable, not so concrete definition thing but it also has to come with government compliance to their already very rigid internet standards. So I wondered if you, you might kind of comment on that. Yeah, yeah that is an interesting dichotomy for sure. Um, one thing though, before I forget that you mentioned, you said, did you say $8 trillion is the amount that they're investing in the metaverse? $8 trillion in the Chinese market. So I'm just trying to get my, my arms around or my head around how big of a number that is. So I think if I remember correctly, I believe the U.S. economy, which is the largest economy in the world, is about $2 trillion a year. And that's the entire GDP. If I, and I think I have that number right, but it, it's some, I believe it's around $2 trillion. China's not that far behind. So for rounding purposes, let's just say Ch the Chinese economy is about $2 trillion. So that's four four years worth of their entire GDP, they're investing in the metaverse. That just seems bizarre to me in some ways. No matter how much you want to regulate it or not, it just seems like a big number. Unless you thought there was a lot of opportunity or unless you thought there was a real thing there, maybe they know something that I don't. I'm not seeing the, the long-term potential with a, with a great degree of certainty. I'm not saying it's not there. I, I've been wrong about other stuff in the past, but that, that seems like a big number. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to the point where I almost, um, I don't know if there's any other monopoly players out there, but that's kind of what I feel like we're doing at this point is like, we're just 
is not even a quantifiable anymore. Um, but if you know a lot about the metaverse and want to be featured on our show, please comment so that you can teach us on what are we doing. I mean, they talk about uh, how much this is going to change the technology landscape and, you know, what an amazing thing to witness. I just I think it's so interesting that I've never seen this type of money, one, invested in pretty much anything, but also in something that we don't even really know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I when I think of, you know, I, I think of augmented reality like games. I, I could see gaming that being a big deal and all the uh, transactions that the the sort of the monetary transactions that happen in the gaming world. And the only reason I know about that is because I have kids that play Fortnite and even like some of the sports games on their Xboxes or whatever. It, it's amazing how many opportunities there are for them to spend our money uh, playing a game that we already paid for once. Now we're paying for them to to keep playing it, keep doing stuff and upgrading and all that. So I can see that, you know, that whole gaming universe really blowing up in the metaverse. But I'm trying to think about like other real world implications, especially in the business world. Um, other, if, assuming you're not a video game developer or someone that's selling to that audience, what, you know, what are the, the implications there? And I'm, I'm just not, I'm not sure what they are, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully we'll continue to, to learn more about it and, um, you know, see what, kind of these investments will look like but you know i i think it's a a great conversation that we had with john or you you had i was just you know the keyboard warrior typing my insight there um but such an amazing um conversation and just really insightful i always am so interested because whenever you do a guest i think they're gonna say one thing and then they say the exact opposite <laughs> so um i'm excited for our audience to be able to hear from john and his great insights when it comes to the overall human side of a really very technical um, industry space. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, we're going to take a quick break and bring John onto the show. Um, and after that, we're going to have Teresa from the third stage team who's going to talk about change management. But I wanted to clarify, this isn't really, it is a change, there's an underlying theme of change management within the conversation with John. But I wanted to come at it more from a, a workforce management, workforce planning, workforce strategy perspective, and that's his area of expertise. So that's really what we wanted to come at it from. And again, if, even if you're not going through a digital transformation of any sort, although most organizations seem to be going through some sort of transformation now, but even if you're not, this is something that's relevant just to managing a, a workforce or a large workforce in today's day and age. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll have John Heiliger from Lockheed Martin. He's the uh, Director of Workforce Strategy and Analytics. He'll be on the show here in just a moment, but before we do that, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, 
um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 57. My name's Eric. I'm here with Kyler, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and all the audio podcast platforms, whatever platform you're listening to podcasts on. Check us out there, subscribe, share it with your friends, leave us a review. We'd love to get the word out and love to hear your feedback. So any reviews you have, please feel free to share with it either in the comments if you're watching this or in the review section of the audio platform you listen to. Um, Our next guest who I mentioned earlier is uh, John Heiliger, and he is the Director of Workforce Strategy and Analytics at Lockheed Martin, which is a very large North American-based aerospace and defense company. And he's going to be on talking about the intersection or the alignment of digital transformation with workforce management, workforce strategy, analytics, the the entire HR and human side of, of managing people. And so I'm uh, really looking forward to this conversation, uh, both in the context of digital transformation, but even just managing workforces in general. So all that being said, John, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Eric. Uh, good morning, afternoon, and evening to all, all the viewers as well. Um, yeah, I work for Lockheed Martin, specifically in the space business, and I head up their workforce strategy and analytics function. So topic is very much in my wheelhouse, which Eric, I know is why you had me join. So I uh, appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we usually try to line the guests up with the topic they know something about, so uh-huh. that's why it worked out to where uh, yeah. <laughs> this happens to be a topic you know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually a cool topic because I think it's top of mind for a lot of organizations as they deal with you know the great resignation and just uh, keeping employees engaged in times of uncertainty with the, with the pandemic and everything. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of dive into more of the people, HR, workforce management, analytics side of, of change and transformation in general. Um, but before we do that, maybe just talk a little bit about what do you do? So you're the director of, of workforce management analytics, but what does that mean? Sort of what is your right. responsibility? Yeah. Um, so the simplest way to describe it is I'm trying to help our business forecast the skills and talent that they're going to need to deliver on their business strategy. So a lot of that obviously requires pretty heavily um, analytics, business intelligence, um, you know, insights into workforce dynamics, external market factors, those kinds of things. Um, There's a pretty significant systems component to my role and we're deploying a new um, human capital management system, um, trying to look at at more efficient processes and how we manage our workforce. Um, And then a small part of it is actually on the STEM side, how are we building pathways to get students more interested in considering STEM careers even even if you include sort of art-based STEM, which um, if we have time, getting get into. So looking at those grades six through 12, earlier career funnels. So I look at workforce as a, a supply chain, if you will, if you apply it to business and manufacturing. So we're trying to look at it really at that early, uh, like I said, grade six, um, even through retirement. So you're building a long-term funnel of future <clears throat> capital. Right. Okay, that's pretty that's cool. Right. So it's, it, super long-term thinking then rather than super just- Super long-term. 
Yeah, yeah, it's hard to get your head around when the business is like, I got positions to build today. How do we get them to think longer term? Yeah, yeah, that's that's super interesting. Um, so what, I guess just to start in, in maybe to back up for a second, you know, a lot of our audience is here because they're involved with or interested in something related to digital transformation, business transformation, mm -hmm. change management, that sort of thing. But just to um, maybe simplify the concept of, of workforce management, what what does that mean? And in, in because you focus on this stuff, what what is that? How would you describe that in its <clears throat> terms? Yeah, so there's a strategic component of I need I have what right skills, right time, right place, right cost does the business need? Then there's the people that you have of you know understanding why they join, why they stay, even why they leave. So those are the so if you think of that as a high level. Um, there's there's obviously the legal components of managing the workforce. There's the hearts and minds, the brand, the experiences that you want to give them, uh, and the way in which you give them those experiences that I would include in that. Gotcha. Okay, so it's a pretty holistic view of of right. HR and, and just mm -hmm. not even just HR. It's it's more just people people's engagement with the company and and identifying right. that talent even ahead of time. That's right. What do they, do they fit into the culture? Do they, how much discretionary effort are they giving you? Uh, those kinds of things. Are you allowing them to bring their whole selves to work? There's a lot to unpack there, but that's another other elements I would add. Yeah. Now, how has your job shifted and maybe some of the challenges of your job shifted in, in the last couple of years, you know, with, with both the pandemic and also the, the talk, in the, the uh, trend of sort of that great resignation that a lot of organizations are facing where there's just a lot of people kind of rethinking their careers and maybe shifting yep. careers, quitting jobs. How, how, mm -hmm. is the, how has your world changed here in the last couple of years given that backdrop? Yeah, so a little context to what I'll share is, you know, the, the company I work for, we compete across all technology um, sectors. So the Amazons, the Facebooks, uh, we don't, we're in the aerospace and defense industry, but it, it extends much beyond that. So we compete with banking, we compete with insurance, we compete with your social media companies. And so we are trying to compete in all of those areas. Uh, so we're, you know, we, if you think of this as sort of a battle, we're on all kinds of fronts here, trying to, um, when we think of workforce management, how are we giving them flexibility? Are we, um, providing more wellness um, opportunities for them, you know, flexibility of where they work. We all know that regardless of what country you're in, working from home, working remote, uh, you know, to being considerate of uh, wellness, family, all the things that they may be experiencing through this pandemic, does, how far out does that continue? And does that now become the norm? Even if, or, or hopefully when the pandemic um, goes away, are those going to still be important to your employees? Um, we believe that is, that will always be important. It just depends on what is the most important at the time. So employee wellness, um, you know, giving them the flexibility. In many cases, they want more flexibility, even if that means less pay. That could mean part-time work. That, mean I, that means I want to work closer to my parents and therefore I want to move and maybe a lower cost of living. It may be that, you know, I need uh, my spouse and I work for the same company and, you know, we need to manage our lives accordingly and how much do companies get involved. There's pay equity and fairness. All those factors play into when you look at the great resignation, 
Um, and in some cases they're calling it the great upgrade is mm. it's giving people an opportunity to maybe do the same work for more pay or get opportunities they never would have had before because the demand for really skills across the board are so high right now and, and will be probably for the foreseeable future. It's interesting. I hadn't heard the term, the great upgrade. You always hear the great resignation, but I, I like the positive spin on that and, and the opportunity mm -hmm. that comes with that, both for right. employees and, and the employers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Super interesting. Um, and just uh, actually, before I keep going with, with my questions here, just a, a quick uh, recognition of, of our audience here, just looking across the platforms that we're streaming to. Yep. Um, we've got a, a, a lot of interesting locations people are from. Raphael is on YouTube from Canada. Mm -hmm. um, we have a marketing team from Denver. Um, Hasina from Algeria, um, Mario from Colombia, uh, Ronaldo from Mozambique, where he says it's hot. Um, and interestingly <clears> enough, <throat> it is not at all hot in Colorado where John and I are. It's, it's below zero uh, degrees Fahrenheit. So it's extremely yeah. cold right now. In fact, it's too cold. I don't, you can't really tell behind me, but it's, it's almost like it's too cold to snow. It's supposed to snow, but it's, it's like, it's too <laughs> cold to snow. Um, well, I like, uh, I can't pronounce his name. Is it Gassan? This call out. This is a unique yes. day. It's it's February. It's two twenty two twenty two or twenty two two twenty two. Yeah, I, my kids were telling me that this morning, mm -hmm. and uh, I meant to mention that at the beginning. So thanks for bringing that up, Gassan. That yeah, uh, yeah February twenty two twenty two. That's a, a unique day. And and then I was thinking it's every eleven years we get that, but I guess in eleven years we won't get that. Uh, right. Three 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 thirty three. Yeah, and you've got you've got some. You know, I'm in the space business, so we know Pluto is closest to as close to earth and even in view of the u.s and parts of the northern hemisphere um not and it's been what since july 4th 1776 since that's happened so yeah very interesting day it is interesting very very historic yeah. thanks for everyone for being here and thanks for uh dropping in the chat where you're from also um Nikhil from india uh, zam from uh, india as well um, and then Ghassan, who was mentioning the 220-222, is uh, from Kuwait. So uh, lots of cool places that everyone's from. Most of them probably warmer than uh, where it is, <laughs> where we are today. And if you have questions, too, for John or myself uh, along these uh, lines or this, this topic, feel free to drop it in the chat as well. Um, we'll keep an eye on that and get to your, your questions as well. You can drop it anytime mm -hmm. um, as we're talking here. But uh, what do you think, it, you, you sort of started to allude to this a little bit, in, uh, but I do want to ask it a little bit more directly just to see if you have anything to add, but what are some of the biggest challenges facing organizations in workforce management in today's day and age? You mentioned the great resignation um, and the great upgrade, but what other challenges are organizations faced, facing at the moment? I think companies are facing whether or not they're willing to compete for some of the compensation packages employees are getting. Uh, I think there are companies that can afford it and they're raising the bar. Uh, they're throwing equity, they're throwing cash, they're throwing all kinds of things at employees. In some cases, it may not even be pay. It may be flexibility that the company isn't willing or isn't ready to counter with. So, you know, there's companies, there was a Gartner webinar that talked about companies offering every third Friday off, or you can have every Friday afternoon off. Actually, Lockheed Martin provides every Friday off um that level of flexibility and time to have balance back in people's lives because as they've worked from home they might they are now working more hours we've done studies at our company that the folks working from home working more hours it might be more burnt out uh, we're applying trying to apply analytics to understand burnout and flight risk mm -hmm. um how do you um, help those employees with that kind of balance so that's a 
I, I was hearing a lot of companies struggling with that. Um, imagine you're a startup and you can't pay the the types of salaries that maybe more um, established companies, larger firms can pay. So you might have to hire less experienced folks. What kind of impact does that have on companies when they might need more experienced folks in startup environments? Mm-hmm. Um, there's the challenge culturally across countries. Um, I, I think just about every country across the globe is faced with the same resignation, the same challenges, but you might not be able to move as quickly as other companies, depending on what country you work for or work in. Um, you know, the, the being able to offboard employees is different. Um, there's obviously the, the laws attached to some countries, but I think, you know, you're pretty much faced with the similar challenges. And I'd be curious from our audience if anything I've mentioned resonates or any different challenges you might be facing that, uh, that I haven't highlighted. And I'm, yeah. I'm seeing some questions. So cue me, Eric, when you want to stop and look at those, but. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And, and good point, John, about if you do have, I'd love to hear from the audience, what are some of the challenges your organization is facing with workforce management? Anything particular that John said that resonates with you that's particularly true for you, or maybe things he didn't mention that, that you're, you're struggling with at the moment. Thank you, John. We're going to take a quick break and continue the conversation. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 57. I'm here with John Heiliger talking about the future of workforce management and analytics and HR and in the world of digital transformation. Here's a a question or or comment from Ghassan on LinkedIn, and he he asked the question of a productive employee in theory means a profitable organization. In your opinion, what are the top three traits that make an employee productive? And do you have measures for these? And since you're an analytics guy, uh, maybe maybe you've got some measures as well. (laughs) So we... I say we, my team and some others, we've started to adopt, we looked at this pretty significantly, like how do we, what's getting our in our way of doing our best work? So to the, to the productivity question, uh, what we're finding pretty consistently is that when number one tension is meetings, we're in too many meetings, they're unproductive. Um, we have too many people joining that don't offer value. It might just be a get a courtesy invite. So if I look at that question, uh, you know, traits of a productive employee they spend their meeting time or their engagement time with the right people um, pretty consistently they're, they ask the hard questions they're willing to say no to meetings they you know they manage their time pretty religiously uh it, you know their 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 deep thinking time is sacred the time they spent with others is sacred so meeting productivity i would say is a is one trait you can measure those microsoft analytics has 
capable. We haven't, we're not doing that where I am today, but I know you can manage how much time you're spending in emails, how much time you're spending in meetings, how many hours, and you get, you can get weekly reports and you can, we would actually, we do pretty consistent retrospectives or we reflect each month on, you know, if we've applied a, an experiment of, Hey, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do meaningless weeks during the holidays, or is that helping us free up time to be more productive, more deep thinking, more innovation, those types of things. So you can look at things like less meeting time results in more innovation. There's ways to measure that. Um, we're also looking at burnout. So, uh, you know, we were, we were able to do some through surveys. We actually do poll surveys. We ask a question each week that relates to burnout, flight risk. And we've done our own um, analysis around what's the likelihood of folks leaving based on historical attrition statistics. Um, so you can connect all of those in a way that helps to not just identify your top most productive employees, but is that resulting in burnout? Mm. So I don't know if that helps Gasan or not, but uh, it's a good question. What about, you, you kind of triggered another thought there in, in your response, but you talk about um, people being stressed out, they're in too many meetings, um, burnout, not enough mm -hmm. focus time. Um, and then, it, yeah, I think there's also this dynamic of where it's it's maybe a little bit more difficult to separate your your home life from your personal life when you're if yeah, you're working at home, at least for office workers. Um, right. But what, how do you how do you preserve a in these times? You know, with all, against this backdrop of all, of everything you're talking about, how do you preserve your culture? You know, how do you how do you address culture? Have you guys shifted in the way you've approached that, given where we're at in the world? Yeah, we've tried. Uh, so I've been with where I am today, eight years, previous companies, you know, similar we, culture has always been the, the, not the elephant in the room, but always the most toughest nut to crack, of, you know, defining what we are and what we want to be. Uh, historically, our company in this industry has been you know, very bureaucratic. We take on the culture of our customers. So if you're international, if you're in another country, still working in this defense industry, even aviation, those kinds of companies, you're probably faced with all kinds of regulation, banking, financial industry, same, same thing. How do you, how do you uh, still have to address that, but also um, give folks the opportunity, the freedom, the autonomy to make decisions, to unblock that work, to, re to look at processes that you know, require multiple approvals, those kinds of things. So, um, I'll be honest, I think we've struggled with that. Um, it ha it's just has to start at the top. We've had great CEOs since I've been here. Um, Jim Takelet, uh, Marilyn Houston, um, have we've certainly chipping away little things like we don't need, you know, a meeting before a meeting, you know, keep your presentations to three slides, little things like that, where people would spend hours and hours and build, you know, dozens of slide content to prepare to share status meeting. No more status meetings, those kinds of things, you know, again, chipping away at that culture of bureaucracy to give folks the freedom to get work done, to drive trust and autonomy down um, to the people that are closest to the work. We call it the edges of the fringes that are close to the customer. But, uh, you know, culture is one of those, you know, you have to spend time as a company defining it and then be very clear and intentional about what you want to be. And then apply some of those practices if you know if your culture is bureaucratic and you want to provide more autonomy or you know maybe uh it's too autonomous and you want to bring controls back uh, you know whatever it happens to be 
I think that's the most challenging. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned uh, that you guys are going at Lockheed Martin are going through somewhat of a digital transformation of your own, like a lot of organizations are. Um, have you, do you address culture as part of your transformation or is that something that's top of mind for you guys as you think about how do we deploy new technologies? And by the way, you know, how does, how does that affect our culture and what can we do to bend that culture? It is, it's very much a part of it. We, we put a lot of effort and resources around change management. So we follow, you know, the, um, typical model of and the, the models escaping it'll come to me in a second uh, but you apply the ad car methodology if you're looking at you know how do you get folks through that change curve of resistance acceptance adoption uh, when you think of okay your work is going to be more automated so let's say great examples in software development where you create a factory of code where people can draw that common code and not have to rewrite it every time what does that do to the software engineer's job or even tracking of inventory where you're attaching RF or Bluetooth um, devices so you can track things from your mobile device or your computer without having to walk, you know, the shop floor to put, you know, sticky notes and tags on it. What does that do to that person's work? How do you get them and convince them that that work is more fulfilling when they might be that have been doing it for decades? Uh, those kinds of things. Um, the other thing is, uh, this might, this kind of draws to the system side of moving managers to more self-service. So our culture has been, you know, HR, some of the functions do a lot for a leader. We hold their hand, we do the work for them, moving people, approving certain things to, you know, hire somebody or offboard them. How do we create systems, um, and make them intuitive enough that managers can do that work themselves. So that's a big culture shift of you know if they do something once a year a great example would be opening a job and if we uh, you know if we train them and they forget how do you build that system so it's got um you know there's a platform called lock me or those types of platforms where they do tool tips and tricks when you're in the tool so it's like it's tool training when you're in the in the application so that every time they're in they don't need a person to walk them through they can do it themselves uh but a culture in a way that doesn't put so much on them that they have to remember 50 things and not have time to actually manage and lead their people. Mm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I know that's a challenge for us is shifting to digital transformation, applying self-service capabilities and systems that let them, uh, like they said, do that work themselves. Yeah. So it's almost like an underlying cultural theme of uh, empowerment, self-sufficiency, whatever you want to call it to where it's a, uh you know, you're managing your own, you know, you're managing your, a lot of things that you relied on other people to do before you like HR and health service and that sort of thing. Very interesting. Um, a couple of uh, other comments I want to hit on here. Um, one is uh, actually from Kyler, who's my podcast co-host, who's uh, listening in the background here. Um, and she said she really likes the great upgrade. Jed Hafer talked about this at our recent Stratosphere event. Check it out at stratosphere2022.com. So if you go to, um, that website, which is uh, an event we just hosted a few weeks ago, uh, all about digital transformation. Jed Hafer talks about great upgrade, emotional intelligence, right. a bunch of change management stuff. It's really important. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I want to hit this question here from um, Zam. I hope I pr I'm pronouncing that right, Zam, um, in India on over on LinkedIn. Um, the question is, in digital transformation like ERP implementations, we need module 
consultants and leads to collaborate and work together instead of working at individual verticals. Any thoughts how to create an atmosphere of working together, establishing dialogue? And <clears throat> I apologize, I have to hide the question on the screen to be able to read the rest of it here. That's okay. I can still see. Um, um, how to establish dialogue between various modules and teams. So I think it's it's a collaboration question. You know, how do you how do you create that cross functional focus on the organization and mindset shift? Sort of like the cultural question I just asked, but a little bit more functional and focused on operations. How do you how do you create that culture of collaboration within an organization? Or is that something you've dealt with or seen at Lockheed? Yeah, I'll, you know, we have. I've seen it. We've tried a lot of ways, and I'll, I'll highlight a few. And what I struggle with is a great question, by the way. What I struggle with is what's the there's no one way, there's no silver bullet, there's no secret sauce to it. It's it's you give folks the opportunity in the way. So it could be things like, okay, we're gonna use Slack to collaborate and message each other or you know, whatever technology or platform that um, companies are using or that exists. Uh, and then how do you give them the freedom to come up with ideas and apply those ideas? So we've done things like we create communities of practice uh we have a new ways of working community where we talk about you know what are ways that we're unblocking work that we're driving decisions down closer to the to the customer um how do we make decisions what decisions rights do we give each other and we're sharing that and it's turned it started as a few folks and has now turned in we monitor users i think we started off with 20 and now we're we have uh, our company's over a hundred thousand i think we've got close to 3,000 employees on this community, if you will. And we're just sharing practices of, have you tried this? No, try that. Um, we cross facilitate these sessions with each other. Um, and when I refer to uh, new ways of working, there's a book called Brave New Work. Um, there's another one called Humanocracy that, uh, that tries to apply these pr principles and practices of unblocking work and uh, driving autonomy. So, you know, it could be a community of practice. It could be a platform or technology you use. It could be ways that you said empower people to connect is what I would say, but it, it differs across companies, countries. Mm -hmm. um, some folks may prefer to be in person, do that. We can't do that. Or you have to do Zoom or we may prefer Slack or something else. But are you creating a way for uh, your employees to interact? Um, is, it, is that reinforced and driven through leadership? Um, you know, are you applying that to how your bonus structure and compensation works? That's one of the things I've learned is you can have a culture and you can say, we want you to behave and do this way. But if it's not reinforced through bonuses, through even compensation or how you measure commitments and objectives each year, it's really hard to drive that, that mindset shift. So I, I don't know if I answered the question that well, it, it kind of depends, but I think, uh, um, getting folks to naturally create their own ways of collaborating is probably the best way I would describe it. And you hit on some really good points about, you know, when you think about how you want your culture to shift, a lot of times people think, well, the technology is just going to sort of enable that culture of collaboration or of self-service, um, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. But you, you also mentioned a couple of really important things in passing around you sort of implied that organizational design, compensation structures, that sort of thing. You have to align everything around what that culture is you're trying to uh, trying to get to. A lot of times I think right. people think, well, I'll just put in the technology, the self-service technology, and that's going to, we're going to create this digital right. mindset in our organization. Well, mm -hmm. you have the potential to now that you've got the tool, but you haven't actually enabled that 
mindset until you've done the things you talk about. Right. Been the case you've seen too is just getting you that full alignment around all the everything that relates to the people's jobs and their experience at the organization. It, it has. I, I would say too, companies have to define what a leader means in your organization. Um, historically, our company has been: if you're a good tech, if you're a good technologist, if you're a good engineer, we're going to promote you into leadership, and that's worked in some cases. Other cases, it hasn't. Hmm. What do you expect as a leader? Do you want them to develop and have empathy for their people and develop and grow them? Or do you want just managers who make sure the work gets done? There's a there's a, a pretty solid line between the two. Managers, leaders. What do you want your company? What is your what do you expect of leaders as a company? And then as you define it, you can apply ways to select, promote, um, what work you give them, how you employ self-service. Um, what technologies you're going to give them access to, how transparent you want to you want to provide data to them. We've uh, we've erred on the side of more transparency, so we've set up dashboards and you know self service analytics, if you will, so leaders can look at data, make decisions themselves. Well, my attrition's gone up over the last few months. What do I do? Or you know, um, here's my diversity um, uh, view of my diverse my team in terms of diversity or location or how many work virtual or in the office. So leaders can uh, approach their teams accordingly. Um, then the next part obviously is how much information and tips and training do you give them to apply things to manage their, their folks accordingly based on that data. Gotcha. Huh. Interesting. Thank you, John. We're going to take a quick break and continue the conversation. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. episode number 57. I'm here with John Heiliger talking about the future of workforce management and analytics and HR in the world of digital transformation. Um, what, just out of curiosity, approximately what percentage of employees at Lockheed Martin are office workers or people that have the ability to potentially work from home or work remotely? Yeah, it depends. We're, we have a pretty significant uh, number of programs that require clearances, so they have to sit in a secured space, uh, hard for them to work from home, mm. but it varies. I think we were, we had, uh, not by choice, but because of the pandemic, we had to, uh, change our philosophy pretty significantly overnight. And I know a lot of companies have gone through that. We were up to maybe 30 to 40% at one point, mm. but it varies. It depends on what part of our business, what location, um, and the role. 
typically. So, you know, we've got, like I said, significant requirements for folks to be in the office yeah. because of clearance. But it, um, and I think we may have been 10% at one point. So we went, we took this huge swing and then maybe we've scaled back a little bit. Gotcha. But I don't know specific numbers. Well, and the reason I asked that is because um, something that just occurred to me is actually earlier this, uh, late last week, I had a I had a call um, that I took from home. Uh, we have, we're back mm -hmm. in an office, but we still do sort of a hybrid. And I took the call from home and it was with a manufacturing company. And the guy um, that I was on the call with showed up in, in the, uh, the orange vest, you know, because he'd been out on the factory floor. He right. came into his office at the right. office to take this call. And, and it just, I don't know why it just now occurred to me two years into the pandemic that for a brief moment, I felt like a, um, a moment of, of like not being able to relate a, a non-relatable moment, if you will, in, in that I'm working at home. I have the flexibility and the ability to work from home, but clearly he doesn't, you know, he's a, he's a factory guy. He manages okay. the shop floor and he, he can't work from home. So I guess my question okay. is, and I just, I don't know why it didn't occur to me to ever ask anyone this question. I've never asked anyone this question, but what do you think it creates any sort of a divide between those who can work from home and a lot of myself yeah, included, we all talk about working from home. Right. But I, I would say an overwhelming majority of the world employees in the world do not have the option to even work from home, whether they're manufacturing and services or whatever, or high, high uh, security types of roles like at Lockheed right. Martin. Do you think it creates any sort of divide culturally? And if so, you know, how do you na navigate that? It does create a divide. I think uh, because you'll see cases of, Oh, my job can now work from home 100%. It didn't before. I don't have to be in a high cost of living. I'm just going to move somewhere else, place I'd always want to live. Or I get a chance to go move back home, be with my, close to my parents, uh, whatever. And then you've got the others, um, like your example, that doesn't have that capability. They have to work in a shop floor. They work in a secured area, what have you. Uh, even some instances where you still got to travel, it absolutely does create a divide. I don't know if I have the answer for how you manage it other than just be very clear up front about the expectations of the role, how it might be changing, depending on whatever, what kind of environment we're in. Um, you might have to provide incentives to those who have to come in the office and see that, that not as a perk anymore. <clears throat> so you might have to apply certain, like I said, benefits, but then, you know, there's this, movement and this was captured in this Gartner webinar about well if if can I move to a lower cost of living and keep my same pay it's unfair that you're gonna you know dock my pay because I'm in a lower cost of living or someone over there is working from home I can't so can I move my job from home there's that's pretty constant and I think you're gonna have to be clear with your employees they're gonna have to make their decisions if they stay in their role um, to pursue something that has more flexibility or you incentivize them, incentivize them to stay if their role doesn't have that flexibility. Yeah. What about, what about leadership? And, um, you know, if you assume that there's more upper level management leaders within an organization that do have the flexibility from work from home, mm -hmm. as opposed to the, the frontline employees, where I would argue there's probably a, a much bigger mix of people that can't work from home. How do you create that credibility, the trust, the general leadership, you know what I mean? Behind that, when you when you have this sort of, I'm working from home. You know, I'm showing up in my pajamas potentially on a on a Zoom call, and you're you're actually at the office. Mm -hmm. You had to get up and shower and drive and all that stuff. Yeah. It just I'm trying to figure out like how you 
how do you reconcile that? Or, or is that something you guys have faced? Or maybe I'm overthinking the whole thing. I don't know. I, I tend to do that at times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm the same. I, I, I mean, if I if maybe reframe the question, Eric, are you asking is do leaders have to lead differently depending on those yeah. situations? Yeah, that's a better way. That was what I was trying to say. You just said it better. Yeah, I think you do. I mean, I, one thing I've learned is if your team is grounded in purpose and you have to spend time developing what is the purpose of your team, what are the expectations, and then all of that around, you know, that, that purpose, grounding and purpose should, should drive how you operate. In other words, you know, uh, a good example for us. Okay. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time developing what, why are we here? What does success look like? Um, what would the business benefit from the work that we're doing? Those kinds of things and um, identifying our big rocks. And then we say, okay, let's go. We're all going to go out and trust each other that we're going to deliver on these things. We know each other's roles. We know how we're structured, but this is our purpose. Um, and then we trust when folks work, how they work um, to come to figure that on their own and share it with each other. So we drive psychological safety of, hey, you know, we have one employee who has family time that starts at 530. And, you know, she's on the East Coast. And we hold that sacred. Uh, I, I typically don't start my workday until 730. Because I have obligations in the morning. And I and I actually carve out deep thinking time. We hold those times sacred, knowing that we're all driving to the same purpose. We know our roles, we're going to work together. And we put that trust in each other. And if it and if that doesn't happen, then maybe we're not hiring the right people. Uh, I think that's a, a a culture that a lot of companies have. Of I need to see them in their seat, working at their desk to know that they're getting work done. I think leaders have to change that perspective. Um, hire the right people, ground them in purpose, and let them go do their best work. When you treat them like rock stars, they'll actually deliver like rock stars. Mm -hmm. If you treat them and put controls over them, typically they'll they'll behave accordingly as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. at times like this, where there's more job openings than there are willing workers, that's a, that's a big risk. I would assume you have people right. saying, yeah, I don't, I don't need to talk. I don't need to put up with this because there's a million other places I could be working right. being treated better. Right. So, interesting. Um, so here's a, li a little bit different question that, that um, mm -hmm. just to shift gears a little bit, maybe to get more to the, the digital side of things or the system side of things. Um, but how are enterprise technologies such as human capital and HR systems and predictive analytics impacting how workforces are being managed in the 2020s? You talked earlier about the self-service um, aspect of, of it. Are there other examples you have of how HR technologies and just other enterprise technologies doesn't even need to be HR or HCM necessarily, but how, mm -hmm. how is technology affecting the way people work and the impacts on their jobs? So great example would be... I love the question for many reasons. One is, I think we expect, sometimes we expect technology to solve all of our problems. Mm -hmm. If you don't first identify how the work gets done and then try to apply it within the technology, I think you probably see more failures and successes. Uh, but I would say that one of the things we're seeing from a systems perspective is uh, the platforms you're purchasing, the SAPs, the Workdays, those kind of oracles are they are do they have analytics capabilities built in so when you you're spending a lot of money and effort to implement to make sure that it has, maybe it's intuitive self-service capable all those things 
but does it have built-in analytics? I think HR systems tend to lag other technologies when it comes to that. I, and a great example might be Salesforce or those kind of applications where it, um, it's been so, the way that it, it informs the business, sales, customer behavior, those kinds of things. I don't know if we can apply that same and those same insights to employees yet. Um, I could be wrong, I'm still learning SAP and others, um, but I think that's a, a big factor. If you can, if you can nail that, I think you can you can be pretty successful in leveraging the capabilities of the systems. The other one is um, AI, cognitive um, assistance, uh, chatbots, those kinds of things of taking HR work and automating it. Uh, for years, decades, HR has been. Uh, you know, their their value has been based on I'm answering an employee's question. I help a leader do this kind of work versus if we could help the business achieve uh, cultural transformation, um, strategic workforce planning and less time on did I help an employee get a question answered or do I help a leader complete a task? There are technologies to do that. They're either home built uh, or internally built or you can buy things off the shelf, uh, typically service now, those kinds of things. I think are starting to have those capabilities. But I think that applies to something we said before of self-service. You also have that chatbot capability for leaders. What about the, what does that do to the employee experience? It might solve for the HR business partner who doesn't have to do that administrative work anymore, but what does that how does that translate to employee experience when it when it comes to, you know, either a question getting answered or what's my next career move? So I think the advancement of that is, has a long way to go, but those are there's some interesting applications that I think companies are testing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super interesting. And it, it's also speaking of analytics and the data behind it, it's also capturing. It sounds like like with chat uh, bots, if you, that's capturing unstructured data that you theoretically could be using right. to figure out you know people's mindsets or um, you know maybe I'm thinking too far ahead with AI and using unstructured data with AI or machine mm -hmm. learning, but more AI I guess. But you know just trying yeah. to understand what people's um, mindsets are and what, you know, back to your point about stress and burnout and that sort of thing, or morale, right. you, know, you could probably right. get a lot of signals from that sort of mm -hmm. data um, in the future. But I assume that's getting too far out there. Uh, or, or I don't know, maybe, maybe you've seen technology that can do that right now. I don't know. Well, I, I can't think of one, but I know there's debate of companies and infringing on privacy. So that's one one thing I know country by country, especially in Europe, the privacy laws are are huge. Um, somewhat in the US, but I know Europe has pretty significant privacy laws of what do what do companies have access to, employee information, health data, those kinds of things. Technologies that are tracking moods of employees. Um, Employees on factory floors wearing a wearable device that shows where they've been walking. Are they spending their time in the right part of the floor? Do they have to walk an extra 50 feet to get a tool or a part? Um, and what does that do to productivity? That's you're crossing the line there of, you know, they know too much about how I'm working. They know that I took an eight minute break instead of a five minute break. Um, even tracking what company, what employees music they're listening to. And if they're listening to more, sad music that mean that, that they're depressed or burnt out and if companies have access to that information can they then target the, that particular workforce and say hey we've got a morale issue 
Um, that was actually, I, I keep referring to this Gartner webinar, and they seem to be hitting on all these um, questions that you have. But there are companies that are um, talking about that type of capability. I don't know what the audience thinks about that, but that's, you know, it's exciting and scary at the same time. Yeah, I'd love to hear to the audience here listening live. Um, yeah. Love to hear what you think. You know, is this something that we should be taking more advantage of despite the privacy laws, or should we be more concerned about privacy and uh, maybe back off this whole uh, this whole concept of, of Big Brother or technology right. being able to to track uh, to track morale and mood and all right. that sort of thing? On one hand, I can see how it would be super beneficial to know the reality of what people are thinking or feeling um, or doing in their jobs. Not as long as you're not abusing that to micromanage, but if you can look at the, right. tr the broader trends and say, you know, not just, hey, John's feeling sad. It's, it's not about John. It's about just us as a culture and as an organization. Right. Is the entire organization sad? Then that's another issue. So that's right. I don't know. That's yep. I can see the pros and cons of that approach. Mm -hmm. um, so you've, you've been in this space for a couple decades now or more, mm -hmm. um, similar to maybe just different parallel paths that we've been on over the last couple decades. But what are some of the biggest changes you've seen um, within HR, workforce management, tech, analytics, all the stuff we're talking about here today? Biggest changes. Yeah, I would say, <clears throat> I'll probably go back to your technology question. What, what capabilities are being applied to offset historically how work gets done in HR? Um, mentioned a couple of things about how you can, can you measure workforce morale? Um, I think analytics has become almost a core competency in HR. I think that's the biggest change. Data literacy, if you will. How do I look at data, interpret it in a way to help my client or myself make a decision? Um, and I think that's showing up everywhere, not just in HR, but in other areas of, of the business. Uh, I love the story of the Farmer, um, I can't remember which book I read, the, the farmer turned data scientist where they automated how their cows get milked. So they put devices on the cows, cows decide when they get milked and they go into a stall and it milks them automatically through robotics. And then the farmer actually measures cow productivity on, a, on an iPad. That's probably an extreme case of when we think of HR or other functions of where, where, what direction we're going. So I would say data, I would say um, employee empathy and wellness is gonna be a huge change of how businesses, CEOs, CHROs think about workforce management. Uh, talked about, do they get less hours? Do they get more pay? Do they get more flexibility? All those things have to be considered and probably one thing isn't gonna work for your entire workforce. It has to be applied strategically and I would say the best recommendation for any company is you focus on your critical skills first, the ones that are actually going to be pivotal to whether you achieve your business strategy or not, and differentiate them accordingly. But but holistically thinking about what areas of your employee and workforce, early career, maybe you're, you have elements that might be close to retirement and everything in between might require different things. And uh, so, you know, those are some examples of the biggest changes. And I, I you know, if, you would have asked this question 10 years ago, would we be thinking employee wellness is that important? Probably not. Um, I think social impact, social awareness too, when we think about what happens in the geopolitical space, um, you know, racial challenges, protesting, um, vaccines, pandemics, all those things. 
leaders, employees, employers, CEOs have to be aware of all that stuff now. Before, yeah. maybe half of that was important when you think about you know driving productivity. Yeah, it certainly has, if anything, uh, jumped to the top of the list for a lot of right. organizations and just added mm -hmm. to the complexities of managing a diverse workforce, a global workforce, right. all that stuff. Thank you, John. We're going to take a quick break and continue the conversation. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 57. I'm here with John Heiliger talking about the future of workforce management and analytics and HR in the world of digital transformation. I don't know why, but when you're talking about the um, the cows, you know, the farm with the cows, when they decide when they're going to get milked, all I could think about is Animal Farm by George Orwell. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about Big Brother a moment ago. It's like, why is this all uh -huh. about Orwell um, somehow? But <laughs> but that's it, an interesting yep. concept, though, the, the whole, uh, it, and it seems doable or reasonable, though, like mm -hmm. the cows could decide, the technology could track all that. Um, but right. can't help but think of that book as well. Yeah, one thing I would add to that comment, Eric, is, it's funny how companies view themselves, you know, take a Domino's, take a John Deere. They don't view themselves as Domino's didn't view themselves as a pizza company. They view themselves as a technology company who happens yeah. to sell pizza. John Deere is a technology that happens to sell farming equipment because now mm -hmm. they apply GPS and, and insights and capability that they hadn't before Domino's for those in other countries that, you know, they deliver pizza and you can see where the pizza is and then, you know, being made, baked, and when it's going to be delivered can be done all online. So a lot of companies are thinking that way. And, and hence the, the expectation of the employees in the workforce having to shift, you know, to this automation, to this technology and data, you know, kind of going back to the farm, the farmer example. Yeah. Well, as a, as a parent of two um, teenage boys, I know you have kids around the same age, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I appreciate that Domino's has digitized themselves so that it makes life right. easier for us as parents. <laughs> for sure. Very true. Um, so we've got a bunch of questions and comments that have just uh, come in here. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll share one from, from Kyler from Third Stage, our, my co-host and our marketing director. Uh, data is a balance. Trust is often not measurable, which I find that really interesting because um, we were talking about whether or not you know the data privacy should trump the need to potentially use that data to figure out morale issues or whatever. Um, but then what does that do to trust? And you can't measure that. that. That doesn't show up in your metrics necessarily, or maybe it does. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts there? I, there's one way to measure trust and it's whether people stay or they leave or, you know, how engaged they are. I think, I think if you don't have psychological safety and that the trust doesn't exist, people won't stay. They'll do just enough to get by. 
you, they may not be very engaged in meetings, right? They'll, you know, all those things. It, it is hard to measure. I would agree with Kyler for sure. But you see some lagging indicators as a result if the trust isn't there, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, how about, this is an interesting comment from, um, from Sandy on YouTube. And uh, mm -hmm. Sandy says, as long as all levels of management are being tracked, to have a fuller <laughs> productivity. I think, I don't want to assume, but I, if I read between the lines of what Sandy, I yeah. think might be saying is uh, don't just measure or track right. uh, frontline employees. You have, to, you have to do the same with the management too and hold everyone accountable. So I guess it's back to that whole, are we just going to measure like target people? Mm -hmm. Like John seems mm -hmm. like he's sort of unproductive. So I'm going to measure him, but not my peers. Uh, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I love it. I think, uh, you know, if, if, if you're a good leader, you won't, you won't mind being measured or tracked or held accountable accordingly. Yeah, I think, I mean, there, there's companies that, I mean, the whole role of leadership and management is changing or should be, should have changed already on how they spend their time. Uh, I think we, have, we assume, oh, well, we have 20 people or, you know, we have to have a leader over it. Well, why, you know, there are companies that have these pods that don't have leaders, they, a leader may naturally arise, but they're not, someone's not hired and appointed. They know their purpose, they get their work done accordingly and they co-create as a team. That's, that's uncomfortable and a little dramatic, I would say in many traditional companies like Lockheed Martin, I think it would be hard for us to do that. But I think even how you lead and whether or not you even need a leader um, is a question companies should be asking themselves. Right, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, here's an interesting uh, question, kind of opening another uh, angle on this. This is from Sai on YouTube. He says uh, the transformation would definitely shift the jobs to different skill sets. What do you think would be the situation of incumbent individuals? So I think we, it kind of gets back to the whole great resignation, attrition, yep. you know, new employees coming on. But then how do you mm -hmm. how do you manage um, this? the incumbents, the people that are sort of the legacy employees, the long tenured employees? Do you manage them differently? Yeah, yeah. What are some of the unique challenges they face? Yeah, I would say if, if companies, if you can help them make an informed decision. So if the incumbent's job is changing or just holistically the company's direction of what they expect, and maybe that person's in a role that isn't changing, but eventually if they're gonna stay, they probably have to reconsider how, what skills training they should, they would need to stay and be successful. As long as companies in AT&T did this, where they said, look, this is the direction we're going. These are the jobs that are changing and they're gonna go from A to B. You're gonna, re you're gonna require these new skills. You might have to have certain levels of coding experience. I think it was GE that required all of their employees to learn to code. Those things need to be shared and very transparent to the incumbents, to the employees. So they can then decide, do I wanna be a part of this or not? If my job's gonna be on an iPad I'm not, and I'm gonna be doing digital manufacturing, I'm not gonna be working and whittling parts by hand, am I gonna sign up for that? And then let them decide, do they wanna stay or to give them an opportunity and enough um, you know, awareness that, that their not, job's not going away tomorrow, but they can start to think about what's next for them. I think if companies do that well, then not just how you hire, but the folks in your existing workforce um, it might be shocking, it might be uncomfortable at first, but at least they know can make the appropriate decision. So the ones that stay know that they're fully bought in. But again, you have to help them make an informed decision about how their yeah. jobs change. 
yeah, absolutely. And that it gets back to that clarity, transparency, all a lot of the themes you've, you've touched on in the in the discussion here. Um, so what about um, I guess just as uh, well, a couple things here. One is I want to I want to share this feedback with you, John, because I think it's uh, it's nice mm -hmm. feedback. Um, thank you, John. Great points and tips. Thank you for addressing my question. Um, and then thank you, Eric, for selflessly making this difference to people like me who are looking for some ways to outperform better in self-improvements. So um, thanks for that uh, comment, mm -hmm. uh, Sam, on, on LinkedIn. Um, that's why we do this, is to help people um, improve their careers. And, and I learned, I always have a guest on here that I know I'm going to learn from, so that's the way I view it. Yeah. I want to try and learn in front of a live audience, which can be fun and, and awkward at times. Mm -hmm. too. <laughs> um, so I guess it, just as a question to maybe sort of bring this all for, full circle and, and wrap up the conversation, what advice would you give to organizations as they embark on their I was originally going to ask you digital transformations, but just let's just talk about transformation change in general. What, what advice would you give to organizations, whether they're going through a digital transformation by choice, whether they're being forced into digital transformation because the, the, the economy's changed, the supply chain's a mess and they need to do something, or they just yep. are you know, trying to manage culture differently, their workforce differently. What, what just general advice would you leave people with, be it a, you know, two or three things? That's a great question. <clears throat> I know it's very broad. But... Yeah, forgive the pause. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of noodling on that one. I would say the the reason for that transformation has to be clear. Uh, I've read about companies, you know, obviously being a part of Lockheed Martin, uh, very clear on why the change. And it, it, yes, it applies a lot to how you do change management, but it's still very important the why. People have to be able to resonate and connect to that. And if they don't, that's okay too. Uh, and it could be, hey, we have no choice. Our customers are demanding it. If we want to stay in business, we got to do it. Create the burning platform. Or you say, we're going to help, you know, it could be a message around, we're going to help your careers. You know, this is going to be a way that you can take these skills and capabilities to another employer. We're going to create tours of duty for you to grow. Um, you're, you might be uncomfortable, but in the end, you'll be better off and you'll be more marketable. Uh, but at the same time, our, our business model, the environment we're in requires us to offer products that can do this. And in order to do that, we've got to do that. So the why is the, the big one. I think uh, being very clear on your investment and benefits of that change I have, you know, probably a lot of us have read about the billions and even trillions of wasted money of companies unsuccessfully transforming uh, because they haven't had a clear strategy, a roadmap of what has to happen or companies have waited so long. They've got to do it all at once uh, because they have no choice uh, and, you know, all again can can drive uh, negative ROIs and those kinds of things. So I think two would be just being very clear on your your expense and ROI benefits. And then I would say uh, the way in which you engage your workforce, the expectations of leaders in this transformational environment, what does that mean to them and how to, what does success look like? Maybe starting with leadership, what does transformational leadership mean? The I, I can't remember, someone on the audience called out the leadership manifesto, I think it was Kyler, um, I think that's a big piece of it is how do you lead in the future? What does the future of work look like? And because if you have the right leaders and it starts at the CEO and you can carry this, this, this capability and help your employees through this journey, uh, I think could be hugely beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's all really good feedback. Those are three really good yeah. tips. And, uh, 
I like the second one, particularly just the the benefits and ROI, you know, tracking the cost benefits mm -hmm. ROI. Because I think a lot of organizations, especially in cases where they don't have much of a choice because they're being sort of forced by the market into uh, transformation and or the vendors in many cases are, are kind of yeah. forcing organizations to, to move to the cloud or whatever the case may be. Um, that's not enough. I mean, that's a good burning platform yeah. to your first point about communicating the purpose. So the good news is it creates a burning platform. But if you don't have that clear direction of what it is we want to get out of this on the other side, um, I think that creates a lot right. of that can create a lot of problems. Right. All right. Thank you, John. Great conversation. Really interesting stuff. A little bit different perspective and different angle than we've talked about these topics in the past, uh, which is great. In fact, uh, Kyler and I will have some takeaways and some things we'll unpack from that conversation. We'll be right back and we'll get to that part of the conversation here in just a moment. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control episode number 57. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on all the social media platforms and audio podcast platforms. Be sure to check us out with new episodes every Wednesday and uh, share this podcast with your friends too. We'd love to get the word out and share it with your colleagues and people that you think might be of interest here. Um, so we just had uh, John Heiliger from Lockheed Martin on the show uh, right before the break. And what were some of your takeaways from that, Kyler? Absolutely. Great conversation. Um, you know, I, I was so surprised that he opened in talking about STEM students and their really truly investment in that area that obviously won't be in the workforce for a number of decades, but they still see value and have data around what that means as far as building out that, that talent-based workforce. So I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone kind of talk about that level of education on the show, um, besides maybe Jed Hafer on the emotional intelligence side. Um, have you ever? No, not definitely not that really long-term view of talent management and building a pipeline of uh, future workers or you know potential future candidates. And it's really interesting because not only are you thinking long-term, you know these are people that won't even be in the workforce for what 10, 12 years uh, at the earliest. But you're not even sure if the people that you're you're reaching or that you're focused on, you know, you don't know how many of them are actually going to be good candidates even in 10 or 12 years. So 
it's really interesting that they're they really are taking the long term view, but also a big picture view of knowing and recognizing that you have to invest in STEM. Which, in case anyone doesn't know, it, what does that stand for? Science, technology. Do you remember what the E and M stands for? <laughs> so, oh, math. I think M is math, but I don't remember what the e, X. <laughs> execute uh execution i don't know experiment <laughs> experiment um, i don't know sorry yeah, that's right I, i'd google Which it is sad because my son um we used to go to a stem daycare and we were all gung-ho about it and didn't even know what it stands for so. <laughs> <laughs> well anyway it, it doesn't really matter what it stands for i suppose it's, it's basically science and technology and math you know the smart scientific types um that's what they're focused on and you know future aerospace engineers and uh, mathematicians and data scientists and all you know that would all fit within STEM. Um, so I, I think that's super interesting that they're they're focused on developing that workforce of the future. Absolutely. Um, I also loved his concept of the great upgrade and really raising the bar. Kind of how do you make your company attractive to potential talent? Um, you know, he he mentioned things like. Um, making sure that they have meaningless weeks during the holidays. And I love the idea of that pulse survey. It kind of reminds me of a project health check, just to say like, how's everybody doing? Especially if you're going through any sort of transformation, even if it's, you know, say you have a, a COVID exposure and everybody has to go home, you know, sending out a quick survey to say like, how is the company doing with that transition and having that data to be able to be actionable around i assume would be incredibly valuable oh yeah yeah i love that and i love that great upgrade concept too because i've always heard great resignation right and that's what everyone seems to be focused on in the media and you know even in our industry when you talk about it it's it's the great resignation this the great resignation that but it i like how he kind of spun that into an opportunity you know there's an opportunity here to upgrade your workforce to upgrade your the people you have and the people you're trying to attract and um, as a high growth company, like we are at third stage, that's something that really resonated with me as well. Cause we, we have to be really mindful of that as well as, you know, how do we hang on to the really good team we have and how do we make it even better over time? And how do we attract and draw in more people as we continue to grow? Is that a question for me? No, no. It's more of a, that's a question I'm trying to answer. If you have an answer, I'd love to hear it because I'm still trying. I was just, I was just like, <laughs> you were layuping my first Friday off or every Friday <laughs> off though. So I was ready to say that was really, that was definitely a great idea <clears throat> right <laughs> um but i love how he attaches that um that upgrade to an all over roi you know everything that john said was totally data-based and a lot of times we don't see that when we're talking about things like human capital management or what that looks like workforce management um but he he directly said you know if you have this ability to upgrade your workforce, you're going to upgrade your overall ROI revenue um, as well. And that is directly correlated. Right. Yeah. And I, I love that. I love anytime you can take something that uh, is somewhat theoretical or seems like it could be theoretical or intangible and you make it tangible. I, I love that. And, it, and I think it just goes to show that actually a lot of what he said was along those lines too. It, it felt like, you know, mm -hmm. it felt like uh, and maybe it's because he's an analytics guy, you know, given his yeah. title and his background. But it, I, I love that combination of sort of the analytical metric-based thinking with something vague and nebulous like workforce management. You know it's important, but you're not quite sure how to measure it. But he, he sort of connected those dots. Much like when Teresa's on a little bit later, she'll talk about change management. She's, she's a, and I don't want to jump too far ahead here in our episode, but she is a Lean Six Sigma 
practitioner as well as a change management certified or ProSci certified change management practitioner. And I love that combination, that, that uh, the dual kind of not conflicting, but the complementary skill sets. And I think that's something that John has as well. And, and I think the more you, people can fuse those sort of intangible uh, theoretical concepts with the more tangible ROI-based, metric-based stuff, I think that's super powerful. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I definitely think that that coupling is, is so important, especially moving forward. And that's why we do things like culture assessments, change assessments, because it's really hard to argue with data. You know, that you can't say, you know, four plus four is nine. I mean, you could, but everybody knows that that's not true just because of the overall data. Um, I also like how he addressed the challenges of culture in heavily regulated industries. I never really um, got that and that resonated with me because I used to work in telco for a long time. And that was always a really hard thing is just, you know, dealing with the compliance and kind of the roadblocks around that, um, especially being in a, kind of that aerospace and defense um, niche and understanding that. Um, and the just overall transparency he uses to kind of combat that or treat it within trying not to create a culture that lacks innovation. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and, uh, I like, that was the other thing he kept alluding to is that, uh, innovation and how, um, you know, the, I think he was talking about the, uh, the focus time or the thinking time and how that fosters innovation. And when you don't have that time, when you're so back to back with meetings and whatnot, you, you don't, you're not as innovative and you're, you're more stressed out. You're more burned out back to your, you know, earlier hot topic about tech worker burnout, that was something he, he touched on too, is just the, the stress and the burnout that people in, in workforces across the world are facing right now. Absolutely. Um, and I, I love the way he put um, the organic collaboration and technology, but you have to do that intentionally. Um, and he talked a lot about how you can, you know, have chat bots, you can have, you know, the latest and greatest of technology, but if you don't implement it with the intention of it positively affecting your workforce, it just lives there and you're, you don't get the maximum benefits realization from that technology that you invested in. So I thought he put that really well yeah. on the organizational change side. Yeah, agreed. It's a good reminder that you should be focusing on what is it you're trying to, just in general, whether you're talking workforce management or just any sort of change in the business, why are you doing it? You know, what are you trying to get out of it? And what do you want to look like on the other side of it? Yeah, definitely. And the grounded in purpose. I know I wrote down that he talked about, you know, the why behind you have to be able to tell your teams and your company, why are we going through this in a clear and concise way? It's not just this is your job now. And, you know, I actually have an, an interesting relationship with Lockheed Martin um, because a lot of where we're at, um, I live in a South Denver suburb and have a, a a lot of young families that have relocated to the area because of Lockheed Martin. So it was interesting because I, I just had, um, you know, one of my mom friends, her husband worked at Lockheed Martin and they said, you know, you are no longer needed to be here in the security clearance. And he didn't get a raise that year, but they moved to Illinois where their family was. And that was a huge benefit for them in that he decided to stay with the company. And then on, on the other hand, I have another friend whose husband works there and she it's very high security clearance. Um, so 
she's on the other side of that polarity of he needs to be kind of in those quote unquote safe rooms, opening those types of encrypted files. And they've really kind of thrived here in that new environment. So it's very interesting, our current climate of, you know, remote means a lot to people, but it also means a lot to be in person and have, you know, a, a community too. So it's just interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it, it's back to, you know, I, I guess we were, t- we were talking about metaverse earlier and, you know, it's sort of like that's the extreme uh, non-human, non-physical interaction world. And, you know, you've got the pandemic as well, obviously, that sort of forced us to socially distance for a certain amount of time. But I think over time, I mean, we, we are humans. And at some point, we're going to gravitate back together, whether we may, and a lot of us already have. But over time, I think you, you sort of go back to what, you know, the human nature is. So I think just finding that balance is, is always, I think that's going to be the tricky question of the day. I think he, he alluded to the fact that he thought it was sort of a permanent shift you know, in, in a way, and I think it probably is in some ways. And I think we've exposed some of the opportunities to work a hybrid where we can, although I'd still argue, as I mentioned to him, I don't know what the percentage is, but I suspect if I had to guess, I would think that 70 to 80% of the global workforce is in a position where they cannot work work from home or yeah. work remotely because they're working in a restaurant or on a factory floor in a warehouse or whatever. Some of that stuff someday might get automated, maybe not, but um I don't know. I, it's just interesting to, to think about, you know, how where we're going to land on that whole continuum. Mm-hmm. And how technology is either going to enable that productivity in remote work or hinder it. Um, and we talked kind of about that balance of, of tracking employees' productivity. Well, now I'm terrified because I took an eight-minute break instead of a five-minute break. And, you know, am I going to be reprimanded for that? Or does that mean that somebody else is more productive than someone else? So you know, it's hard um, from a data perspective to kind of find that balance. But I, I loved that he took that measurement, like, yes, you can take analytics from a system, but you also have to remember, you know, what is the exit rate of the business? And that's the ultimate metric of workforce management is who is deciding to leave and at what rate. Yeah, so. yeah, that that was, uh, that was super interesting. I, and it was a good way to simplify it too. I mean, that is really, especially if you're in HR, or workforce management. I mean, that that sort of is what you're trying to do is to reduce attrition and make sure you get the right people and you get those right people to stay um, with the organization. I thought that was really interesting. Absolutely. And I would like to transition to Teresa in saying the cows decide, because I feel like she, if you knew Teresa Richardson, she would really be into that the cows decide when the cows are milked. <laughs> yes, that, that, that was a, kind of an interesting scenario that he had was Oh yeah, that was super interesting. <laughs> had, you could you could kind of see that being reality, and somehow it didn't seem that far fetched. It seems mm-hmm. less far fetched to me, quite frankly, than the uh, Chinese metaverse. But I, I think definitely, I but, I feel that you know now is cows cows have the right to to decide. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, good. Well, yep. Speaking of Teresa, and uh, I, it's too bad she won't be on here live because we could ask her that question, what she thinks about the cows deciding when they get milked. But we'll have to ask her next time she's on the show about that. Uh, but in lieu of that, we will have her on the show to talk about change management. We're going to play for you the keynote presentation she gave at our recent Digital Stratosphere conference where she talks about change management. It's a really good session, which is why we're going to play it for you. But we'll take a quick break first, and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control.
If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 57. My name's Eric Kimberling here with Kyler. And we are excited for our third and final guest of the show. Or actually, it's our second guest. I guess you and I don't count as guests, but uh, we had John on earlier, and now, now we'll have our second guest, which is uh, Teresa. And Teresa Richardson is uh, part of the third stage team. She's a change management expert. Um, she's been with the company now, I think, for about a year, maybe a little bit less or a little bit more. And she is going to, we're going to play for you the clip that she recently presented at our Digital Stratosphere event in early February. And if you missed that event, you can register to download or stream all of the sessions that we had. I think we had, what was it, like 15 or 20, 15 or 18 different sessions over three days. You can watch all of those on demand, including this one, but the other 17 or so the, that aren't going to be played here today, uh, you can go register at stratosphere2022.com, and it'll take you to a page to register. Just go ahead and register. Even though you missed the event, it'll give you immediate access to the recording. So that's all at stratosphere2022.com, so be sure to check that out. Um, but in the meantime, let's go ahead and play this clip of Teresa Richardson talking about change management from the Digital Stratosphere Conference. Hello, everyone. Uh, as Kyler mentioned, my name is Teresa, and I'm going to be your facilitator for why organizational change is key to digital transformation success. So um, I prefer to have more of an interactive um, presentation, if that's possible. So I'll be asking questions. Um, if you could just put some of your answers into the sidebar, just so we can, I can understand if we're on the same page, that would be very helpful. Um, so I'm going to cover for today. Um, I'm going to give you a brief introduction to who I am and what I do and why I do it. Uh, we're going to cover digital transformation. What does it really mean? A lot of times people throw out terms and, and there's, a common understanding of what it means, but what does it really mean? Uh, why is organization change important? That's something else we're gonna investigate. What are some of the common pitfalls that organizations experience when we're going through a digital transformation and we're not really looking at the whole picture? Um, what is an OCM framework? What are some of the key roles that are important into a digital transformation? Is a digital transformation the end goal? And then we're gonna leave some time for questions and answers. So two thumbs up, everybody, we're good. So again, hello, I'm Teresa. Um, I am a manager at Third Stage Consulting. Um, I have about 15 years experience across multiple industries, which I love, by the way. Uh, I mean, I was in healthcare, manufacturing, logistics, IT, just same a few. Um, and I am a Lean Six Sigma black belt as well as a ProSci 
change manager, change management practitioner. Say that 25 times, right? Um, so along my way, my journeys, um, I have had been asked and have a lot of conversations around what I do, why I do, and how I do it. Uh, one of the common questions that I get uh, is, what am I most proud of? Or how did I get here? Um, I will say that throughout my journey, I started out with a very structured framework uh, with uh, Lean or Lean Six Sigma, um, very nuts and bolts. You know, you have to do it these way, follow these process steps. Um, early in my career, I found out very, very quickly uh, that if you have a process, unless it is 99.9% automated, you have people within that process. So you have to understand the people perspective or the person perspective within the changes that you are uh, engaging in or suggesting. Because if you don't get that buy-in and if you don't get the information that you need from the teams, yes, you can implement, but how successful is that implementation really going to be? So I think what I am most proud of in the work that I've been doing is the fact that I can help people and I understand um, their perspective in terms of what the change is, what does it mean to them, and then honestly give the client a great project with great results. So digital transformation. And, and I also want to say that if I talk a little fast, <laughs> just let me know. Sometimes I get really passionate about this stuff. So it's, it's helpful to, uh, to get a signal to make sure that, that I'm on task. When you talk about digital transformation with a, with a coworker or with some, what are some of the terms that come to mind? Like what are, how does digital transformation translate during that conversation too. What is it? What do you, what are some of the words that come up with that? Okay. Uh, well, I apologize. It's, it's not working. Uh, I have a fly in there. Um, <laughs> jargon. <laughs> jargon. That's a good one. Te yeah. Kyler, I had a, an animation in there. It doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. Maybe like buzzword. I'll just answer because I like to be okay. right. Okay. Um, how about buzzword or intangible. <laughs> yes. Yes. So some of the words that I, I came up with um, are strategy, right? Digital transformation is strategy. Uh, some of the other words that, that I've had is that um, it is to provide innovation or it is to help with uh, customer satisfaction. So some of these things that, that we're talking about digital transformation are around the system itself. So the traditional definition of digital transformation is focusing on that system perspective alone. It doesn't really bring into context the other aspects of what that really means to be successful. Yes, using your IT to transform your business. Yes, absolutely. So again, Understanding what digital transformation is from what is traditionally to what it needs to be is what we're going to be focusing on today. And trust me, folks, the, the graphics were cool. I apologize. I should have tried it sooner. So uh, I can actually send this, this uh, power, PowerPoint out when we're done. Ah, there we go. Here you go. Efficiency and convenience for customers. Innovation. 
strategic, right? What is a strategic plan or, or this is part of the strategic plan or strategic direction. And the most common is the implementation of an ERP uh, or an MES system or a CRM or another solution. So looking at those words really ties into the traditional definition of a digital transformation, which is the adoption of technology provided by, by a company. And this is courtesy of the internet. So can't really put some air quotes around it, but the common goal for it is to improve efficiency, value, and or innovation. But can we solely rely on that to successfully get there? That's a question. I would say no. I would say we have to look at some other things. It's not just a system perspective. So within the framework of a digital transformation, we have to look at the digital workplace. So when we look at the digital workplace, the few things that come to mind, there's two main. The first is, can anybody guess it? Oh, technology. So yes, the digital workplace surrounds technology, but what does it also speak to? It speaks to the leadership. What is the direction? What is the strategy? What are the goals? What are the, the, the targets that we need to, to get to for our digital workplace and technology? But there are also other things that we need to take into consideration. One of my favorite is culture. Is our culture ready for this? What type of culture do we have? Do we have an inclusive culture? Do we have a culture that you know, says we support ideas and feedback, but it really doesn't. So we need to identify where we're at in that space when we start planning for a digital transformation. What are the business practices? As well as what are the process flows? What are the, the work streams that we're going to be working within? Do they support a digital transformation? How much information are we going to be able to pull out of this if we don't have the culture that gives us the information. So all of these areas are interconnected and we really need to understand what they're telling us in order for us to put a great plan together. <clears throat> yes, technology, structure, people, and process. Absolutely. I'm drinking some water. Okay, any questions? Yay team, okay. So digital transformation, um, according to, um, I forgot his name, Mr. Schwab. I had it on my, the, the <laughs> this is the fourth industrial revolution, which focuses on integrating and infusing not just the data perspective, the technology perspective, but also the human perspective. Like this new wave that we're, we've entered in and, and it's actually coming to the second wave we have to be able to rapidly deploy. We have to be able to interconnect how we're using the technology along with how our team members are using it. So as we move into this, this new phase or this new wave of uh, the, the core industrial revolution to this, we have to be able to make sure we understand all three sides of this pyramid. 
So for example, from a people perspective, is my organization optimized for success? Do all of my team members understand what's going on? Do they, do they accept the change? Are they afraid of the change? What is their perspective around the change? From a process perspective, do my processes align with my business objectives? Are they optimized? Do we have to do a current state to future state assessment to understand the transition period in between? What are the plans around that? From a people and culture perspective, are my teammates, do I encourage their honest feedback? Or is it, I don't want to say anything because of X, Y, and Z. So we really need to understand these two pieces to help support the technology. And even with the technology, are we leveling our technology appropriately? That is a, it's a huge question in terms of what are we going to select and how is it going to help and promote our business objectives? We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Teresa talking about change management. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Transformation Ground Control. We're in the middle of a keynote presentation from Teresa Richardson talking about organizational change management. Let's jump right back to it. So organizational change, what is it? Well, I will say that it is critical for success. Yet for many organizations, it's like the chink in their armor because organizational change isn't really understood. Most people think that it's like fuzzy bunnies and kittens and kubaya and hey let's just all get together and accept the change well it is very it is it is a lot more than that so the question is when you speak to your leadership or when you speak to teams do you think organizational change is a tangible thing or is it an intangible thing or is it a combination of both and really understanding their perspective of what it means will help you for your planning purposes. Is it easy? No, it is not easy. Oh, sorry. No, it is not easy. I need to go back. Kyler, I think I, I kicked myself out of it. <laughs> That's okay. The buttons can kind of be a little tricky. Yes. So no worries. You were saying, no, it is not okay. easy. Okay. So we all agree. We all agree with you that it's not easy for the people component can, within a lot of these projects. Can you see my screen still or no? 
We cannot. So if you go okay. up and hover around your head and share that screen, we should be able to see it. All right. But I agree. Sam Graham, who's one of our um, great influencers and is a blog writer for us, um, said many companies that I talk to believe that change management is something that is only required outside of the C-suite. Absolutely. Okay. Let's try this one more time. Can you see my screen now? We can. Awesome. Okay. So is it easy? Uh, again, it's no. Um, according to ProSci, about two-thirds of uh, organizations that try to implement organizational change are not very successful. Um, and it's most likely attributed to poor adoption techniques. So is it challenging? Yes. Is it complex? Absolutely. Is it disruptive? It sure is, but it, the, the, the disruption can be a good thing unless the disruption is due to a dislocated strategy. And that's why it's really important um, when we when third stage does the executive strategy and alignment to get that information so we all level set and we understand what we're doing and where we're going with it. Organizational change needs to take a holistic overall impact to the business ecosystem. I really can't stress that enough. It is not just a system or a software. It needs to look at the business vision and goals. We need to understand how this digital impact, how this digital implementation will impact the daily work of our team members. We need to consider future strategy and growth after implementation. Can it be supportive? Do we need additional trainings? Um, do we need to, to improve some skill sets to the, the team members who now have more of a streamlined process to work within the, the technology? We also need to make sure that we create a culture where change is expected and accepted. That is very, very important. Um, a lot of times when you come into an organization and people hear the word implementation or upgrade, the, a lot of times that fear starts to be created if we don't communicate why we're doing it, how we're doing it, and the benefits of doing it. So creating the culture where change is okay it's accepted, it's expected, um, is what you really want to get to. And honestly, the only, the only constant is change. So we have to be okay with that. So basically, organizational change is enabling a framework for managing the people side of what we're doing in terms of that change. Okay, so where does digital transformation and OCM really intersect. So at a higher level, it can intersect when we have, and I'm sure everyone can attest to this, and if they've gone through a transformation, managing multiple projects at once. How are we gonna do that to make sure everything is connecting and we are efficient and we have optimization? For process redesign, it's not just taking a paper process and now integrating it into a system. It's 
Who are the people involved in that process? Do they need any supplements to, to help them manage the process? Is it now going from one location to several locations? So that rolls into new roles. Are there new roles? How are those roles being uh, rolled out? How are they being distributed? Are there differences in performance evaluations now? And also managing multiple waves of implementation. So in every digital transformation, these things occur. And by using organizational change management, it will help us move and make the process a lot simpler and clearer for our team members. So some of the common pitfalls that organizations find themselves in when they implement a digital strategy. So on the screen, I put a red circle around one word. And that word is systems because people automatically assume that when we have an implementation, that's where the focus is going to be, right? But what else are we missing? What else do we need to define when we put the plans together for implementation and training? So what are some of does anybody have an example of what they missed in terms of an implementation? An opportunity to improve for the next time? Well, one thing that I can say is, that, and this comes from uh, ProSci, it's the uh, the change impact list, it's, it's 10, but these are the things that you need to consider when you absolutely timescale, thank you. These are the things that we need to consider when we are implementing a change. The tools, are they the same or do we need something different? Within the tool set themselves, do we need additional training? Job roles. Are we going from five roles to now two? And what are we going to do with the other three? You don't want to have the, the message out there that we're downsizing or, you know, we're, we're, you know, letting people go. So it's going to be, okay, now we need to redistribute <clears throat> your role to something else. And does that role need additional training? Critical behaviors, are they, do they exist now? Is there something we need to help identify and train? Attitudes, mindsets, and beliefs, very, very important. Again, having a culture <clears throat> that is okay with change, it's expected, it's all right to ask questions, to give the feedback that they need, to make sure that these decisions are made using the best, most accurate information. That is very, very important. Reporting, reporting structure. So again, if I have five roles and now I'm down to two roles, how does that reporting structure work? The expectations, uh, are there performance evaluation criteria that's now changed? People, again, I've said this before, people don't come to work to do a bad job. They wanna be part of a solution. But in order for that to happen, they have to understand their role. Yes, I understand that this is changing, but what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my level of influence? And how can I help now? How can I bring some information to the table that might help something or someone down the line? Compensation, I don't know if that'll change, but that's something that people are, you know, want to know too. Uh, and location, as I mentioned earlier, I have another client that, you know, they have three locations that we're going to one uh, one company, right? So how does all that move into the, the sphere for planning? 
you have three different cultures. Now we're trying to create one culture. So how, how does all that work within the change? And then the processes themselves, of, of course, understanding where your current state is, walking the, th the teams through how each of the stakeholders are interacting with each other, and then identifying the pains, identifying the issues, identifying the requirements. So all of that information can help to transition into the future state for success. And I, I know one thing on here that, that, I, that isn't really here, but it's important to understand the targets and the goals and the KPIs. Um, that to me, data speaks. So that will tell us engage on how we're moving through the change. But that information is built from this information. So again, understanding, level setting, making sure that we have a good grasp of our business ecosystem. Got to say that again. It's a, it's a, it's a bigger thing. It's not just a system. Is very, very important. Yes, absolutely. I see the comments, and I agree. I agree. Um, how do you build trust amongst the team so that they will build that will bring up issues? Well, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I actually have that happen to me quite often, um, and the root cause that in my experience, um, is that people don't take enough time to really understand the people in the process that are being impacted. Um, again, I've said it 10,000 times, people don't come to work to do a bad job. They want to be part of the solution. So getting feedback, um, having integrity in your follow-up, making sure that you're communicating every step of the way is very, very important. Um, you don't want people to be in the midst of a change and not know what's going on, um, not understanding the end goal, not understanding how this is going to impact them, because that really just creates that fear, right? And then that fear creates resistance. Personally, I'd rather get ahead of it and ask the questions up front as opposed to seeing the disruptors or disruptions and the resistance building, 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 and then us going in to understand why. Uh, and again, again, a lot of times it stems from the fear of, right? The fear of the unknown, the fear of not understanding the change, the fear of possibly losing my job, the fear of, you know, do I have to learn a new skill? A am I ready to learn a new skill? So all of that has definitely been uh, some of the root causes that I've experienced um, within a change, within a, a, a change resistance activity that we've been able to address at third stage. So can everyone can see my slides? Kyler, can you see my slides? Yep. We can oh, see, oh. Teresa. I think we were having um, one audience member that was just having some issues. Again, Crowdcast has been a little rude to us, I would say. <laughs> I'm totally joking. But we can see your slides. But while I have you, I'll, I'll just pull up another question, if you don't mind, sure. since we're kind of halfway through. Sure. So we had one that said, how do you get organizational change into the DNA of the organization? In some industries, such as big pharma, aerospace, change can be both expensive and painful. Honestly, 
in my opinion and, and from what I've seen in industry, it really starts with the the CEO, like the top of, of the house, mm-hmm. right? They really have to believe in the change and want the change. It cannot be a check the box, right? It has to be understood as this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. You have to model the behavior and the change. I'll tell you uh, two really quick stories. Um, One from my days within the plant floor and one within a client uh, that we had a, a while ago. But you know, we had a plant manager who uh, came to our plant and um, our plant was one of the worst for um, cleanliness and shop floor, you know, making sure things were taken care of and putting everything in the right place. He came with a lean perspective, a lean background, and he wanted us to do like a lot of waste identification uh, shadow boxing, you know, you put something in its place that's supposed to be there, etc. Um, and a lot of people, again, they, you know, been there, done that. You're like our fifth plant manager, whatever. Um, and it was very interesting because the sentiment of the UAW was just that. But from a leader perspective, you have to walk the walk and you have to talk the talk. You have to show proof in the pudding. So this gentleman was, you know, midday productions running walking down the aisle and there was trash in the aisle so everyone thought oh he's just gonna walk by but this gentleman literally stopped where he was going and he was with people he stopped the caravan because it was a whole bunch of people and he picked the trash up he walked over to the trash bin and he threw it away that simple act of modeling a behavior was huge and I'm not going to sit here it, it happened saying it happened overnight, but when people see you walking the walk and talking the talk that you're doing it, they're more willing to hear about that change and possibly participate. Like for the feedback system as well, people don't want to give feedback if they don't get an answer. So that's another way that you can get the, the change embedded in a DNA is follow up and have integrity in what you say and what you do. If I say, hey, Kyler and, and, and Eric and Janine and John and et cetera, I need your opinion on this. And I don't turn around and give you an answer or a plan. Are you going to give me another opinion? Are you going to say, hey, I'm going to do this again? Probably not because I didn't answer your first time. So again, it's it's modeling the behavior, it's support from the top, it's making sure we have integrity in what we say and what we do. And even if someone doesn't use my idea, it would be very helpful to me to understand why and possibly move for another another suggestion. Excellent. Thank you, Teresa. Yay, team. Um, so again, some common pitfalls are listed here, and we just want to make sure that when we're engaging in change activity we take those into perspective and seeing how that's gonna gonna impact what we're doing. We're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Teresa talking about change management. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The 
The bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 Replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. We're in the middle of a keynote presentation from Teresa Richardson talking about organizational change management. Let's jump right back to it. So organizational change is an actual methodology. It is a framework. It is, it is a nuts and bolts type thing. Ch organizational change is not kumbaya. It is not fuzzy bunnies and rainbows down the road. It is very intentional. And there are several steps that you need to follow. You need to look at your, your change strategy and plan. You need to make sure that your sponsors and your executives are alignment are in alignment. So at third stage, we have a whole session around that, making sure that everyone is on the same page. We're all understanding what this looks like. We're all understanding the direction that they want to go. We look for baseline information, creating our baseline KPIs, making sure that we can track them so we can show value realizations at the end. No company is going to want to invest in an initiative if they don't see a payback, right? So this is where we start setting up what does that look like. The next step is stakeholder management, engagement, and communication. Who are the stakeholders involved? Do they understand? What is their level of, of influence? Do we have the right people? We do a change readiness assessment. Very, very important. All of this information is very baseline oriented. So we know where we're starting so we can build that plan to where we want to go. Communication planning, again, very important. Every level of the organization has a different level of influence. You cannot go with the same communication to every level. It doesn't work. Just had this conversation earlier today. Am I giving you the information to cascade or am I giving you the information to receive internally to understand how this information or how this impacts you at your level of influence? Then we have to start building our change agent network. Again, very important, you know, like, uh, you know, when, you, when I talk with, with some of my colleagues or some of my uh, Lean Six Sigma friends or OCM friends, the, the question that we ask is, you know, how do you move a mountain? How do you move a mountain? You move a mountain with a team. You got to get people working together to make it happen. If you try to do it piece by piece, it's going to take you forever. But if you engage your team, if you have this change agent network, 
that's moving together, you will have a successful implementation. Next, you look at organization design and workforce planning. What does that structure look like? Doing the current state assessment, identifying the um, pain points, the issues, the requirements. What do we need to transition the team from how we do the job today to how, we're, how it's going to be done in the future? And then skills and knowledge management. Again, we identify that transition piece. We know what we need. Now we can start building our training plans. We can start um, develop, developing delivery plans. We can look at post go live support, which is very, very important for us to roll into sustainability. Sustainability is going to help us keep our fingers on the pulse of not just the process, but the culture and also developing that knowledge transfer. When we have a noose, we're going from old to new, you're going to have um, the workarounds go away. Those workarounds were created for a reason. We have people that are used to them. Now we have a new system. So maybe we need to create some knowledge transfer or, or take those workarounds and, and, and have it optimized to the new system. Again, these are all the activities that you can engage in to help take a team from current to future state more successfully. And again, the last step is making sure that our alignment is still within the project goal and target. We need to make sure that we are able to measure end user adoption and usage rates. And we're able to translate that to an ROI. Again, companies, organizations, they're gonna invest in this to improve the daily work of our teams and they wanna see a payback as well as create a culture that accepts change and welcomes it. Um, so some of the, do you have a question, Kyler? No, I was just gonna come up and ask you one of the questions. Oh, sure. Um, if we were gonna have a slide delay again, not your fault, but. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do you do when people at the organization don't want change? So this is a great question and it's, it's kind of a fun activity to do, you know? I think one of, the, one of the things that really piques my interest and intrigues me is to understand why. Why don't you want the change? What is behind the resistance? Um, I've had, uh, you know, brainstorming sessions, uh, whiteboard sessions, you know, just conversations to solve a solution, et cetera, to understand what is that resistance. I don't think you can address it until you understand where it's coming from, right? So mm -hmm. when you have the feedback loops or you have the surveys or you have the workshops, the resistance uh, management workshops, that information comes out. But even if that information comes out, the most important step is addressing it. Mm -hmm. So what is that? Where is that fear coming from? Is it Teresa, you know, she's she's afraid she's going to lose her job, that she doesn't have the skill set. That's a perception. My perception is my reality. So I need to address that. Hey, Teresa, your job is not going to be eliminated. What we're going to do is now that we freed up, let's say, you know, 45% of your time, we're going to add this value added step to your workday. Oh, I don't have the skill set. Well, we're going to train you. We're going to help you. We're going to, you know, so now I'm feeling less stressed, less fearful, 
and now hopeful that I'm, oh, I'm going to learn a new skill. I'm going to have, you know, a little bit less stress on my plate. I don't have 10 workarounds that I have to go to, to, to get what I can get out of the system like that. So in order for you to address it, you need to understand it. Right. And I, I think that's a great segue to this slide because a lot of people think addressing that can be very intangible, which I believe mm -hmm. is a misconception when really it should be seen as more research within yes. the organization. Yes, absolutely. Um, again, when you take that perspective of you know, a structured, a methodical approach, you know, I'm, I'm using a tool set. I, I have my toolbox. It has, it has a, a tinge of um, seriousness or, or, or a, a tangible aspect to it, right? Because I'm doing a survey, I'm getting a score, I'm showing you a heat map so you can understand the trajectory or the progress of what we're doing. Something that you can hold and show, you know, your teams like, hey, this is where we were. This is where we are now. These are the opportunities that we can capitalize on to, to get even farther to our goal. So again, it's, it's an understanding of why the resistance is there and creating a value added action plan to address it and then measure it and then report out on it and then communicate. So this is this is a really uh, an ongoing thing. It's not a one and done. In my opinion, this is a living uh, initiative where you have to continually move and you have to continually address and change. That's my response. <laughs> Excellent response. Well, thank, thank you. you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so we have about uh, 15 minutes left-ish. Uh, so I'm going to kind of move a little quicker through this because I have a few more. And again, this is a passion. So I overdid the slides again. Sorry, but that's okay. Um, so some of the tools that we use at third stage, um, assessing organizational readiness, organizational change readiness through surveys and analysis to really give that baseline um, <clears throat> picture of where we're at and those opportunities of how we can improve the system or, or I'm sorry, the, the environment. Communications, again, this is so, so, so very important. The communication needs to be tailored to the level of influence. I cannot give a communication to a C-suite or CEO to cascade across the, you know, the organization and then give that same message to a frontline team member. It will have no value. I have to understand what the change means at their level of influence and then create a plan around it to make sure that we have a clear and concise communication on what we're doing. We're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Teresa talking about change management. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us 
and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. We're in the middle of a keynote presentation from Teresa Richardson talking about organizational change management. Let's jump right back to it. Organizational design, very, very important as well. Uh, we talked about this earlier, understanding my current situation, my current state. What are the issues there? What are the pain points? What are the opportunities? What do you want it to be? What are the requirements? All of that information does two things. It gathers the necessities that we need to translate to the vendor, but it also gives the team the sense that we're listening and we care and, we're, and we understand and hear what they're saying. That creates buy-in without really even being overt about it, right? So, okay, well, I've never been listened to before. Now third stage is coming in and, oh, wow, she's listening to me. She hears what I have to say. She's gathering this information and we're, we're working with the vendor to solution it out. We're going we're, we're gonna to reconcile my pain and my issue into the new system. Well, wow, let me try the system. So that's how you kind of move things along and how you generate and create the buy-in. Uh, benefits realization, again, very, very important. At the beginning of the presentation, we talked about executive alignment, level setting, creating that baseline. And as we move through the work, we're going to be measuring and monitoring the metrics and the KPIs. You know, long, long time ago, I had a boss that says, uh, you treasure what you measure, right? And I, I'm sure everyone else has heard about that too, but it's, it's true. So, you know, understanding what those KPIs are, the key performance indicators within your process and what's important to not just the project, but maybe there's a, a culture piece that's important to you, meaning um, you can tie in adoption rates, uh, user uh, rates as well. You can track defects um, per, per instance to see if it's going up or down. And that's really directional information that will help you decide where to go next. Key roles, very, 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 very important, very important. Um, so some of the key roles um, are listed here, but the most obvious, and we talked about this earlier, is the CEO. The CEO or the person, uh, COO, et cetera, they're the ones leading the charge. They set the tone. They drive the digital transformation. Um, I didn't go to the other uh, example, but I'll, I'll do it now. So we had an example of um, one of the CEO or one of the drivers or CEO C-suite uh, wanted to do a digital transformation. And a lot of the technology was based on um, mobile, the phone, right? So people weren't really going into that. They didn't want to do it until they really saw how important it was, because guess what? I'm in a town hall right now and I'm showing you how it works on my phone. This is personal to me, which translates to, hey, I find this important and I'm going to put some, you know, this is where the, the rubber meets the road, right? I'm walking the walk. I'm talking the talk. It's on my phone. It is here. Here's, here's everything that I'm trying to get uh, a benefit to you. So that really goes a long way when the CEO or the person who's who's really driving that change is modeling the behavior of the change. 
senior leaders and managers are very, 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 very important as well, because that is that red line, right? That's where you, you can tell whether or not the change is being accepted and bought into, or you have some resistance. They're the first ones to feel that impact, right? From the frontline user or the team member. So that is a, a very important role if you do see resistance. Those are the people that you want to engage in to understand where it's coming from and what are their thoughts, as well as the frontline user or team member. They have first knowledge of what works. And guess what? They know what doesn't work. That's why they created the workarounds. That's why they have these 10 separate spreadsheets that should just be one because they know what needs to be done but they also know the current system or the current situation cannot meet the need. So they will be very important for you to pull the information out of to optimize what you're doing. And then when you're able to create the buy-in at that level, it kind of goes up from there. Okay, does digital transformation end when it's over? In my opinion, the answer is no. It is a live process. It goes around and around and around, right? Just because you have an implementation and then implementation's over, the post go live support is very important because you did this implementation for a reason. You wanted to get better, maybe gaining market share, maybe improving customer satisfaction, maybe improving your um, defect rate, whatever it is, whatever. You have a baseline, you have an implementation, now you have a new target. You have to continually transform, make improvements so you can move forward within your business ecosystem journey, right? It doesn't just stop when a vendor leaves. You have your KPIs, you're measuring, you're monitoring, you're creating status strategy, you're having your performance, you have this information leads over to continuous improvement activities. You use data, you use facts, you have to rely on teamwork. You have, you know, your processes that will continually morph and changing it better to make sure that we're able to meet the customer expectation of high quality speed to, to get them what they want, right? High velocity, very important, especially with the, the, the changes that we see in the industry right now. How do you handle change management if the technology that is chosen ends up making the job harder for some folks? That's a very good question. Um, if that is the case, I would ask questions. Well, that should translate to your KPI, right? So if one of your KPIs is adoption or usage rates and you have a target and you're not meeting the target, that would be my first indicator to go to the, the executive team or what have you to investigate. Usually when I do that and, and I ask the questions and you know we, we, I understand the situation, the work up front wasn't done, right? I didn't understand, not me, but the vendor or whomever, didn't understand what the system or what the, the team needed. They implanted a system. So I made the analogy earlier a square peg in a round hole, right? You have to make sure that you're understanding your current situation, your current issues, your current pain points to see how is the technology going to help with that. So if I were you, Jerry, I would ask the questions of what was done up front 
Was the understanding there? And if it's not there, how do we get there? Okay. So again, this is a summary of the business ecosystem and what we need to do to make sure that organizational change successfully supports a digital transformation. It goes around and around and around and it doesn't stop. You have to make sure that we're tagging all three sides of that diagram. I know I'm running out of time. Sorry, Ty Kyler. I could talk about this all day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no, no problem. Did we get to, I apologize if I missed it, but did we get to Karen's question over here about how do we um, deal with an outlier team member who is not fulfilling their role? Super user. <clears throat> the individual's behavior is understood and apparently accepted by leadership as they execute their regular role well. Change manager does not have access to leadership. Okay, well, that's the first problem. <laughs> Your change manager uh, doesn't have access. So when we talked earlier about the, the roles of the stakeholders within the process and what your change management strategy is, it should have been defined and agreed upon by the executive sponsor. That's neither here nor there now. So addressing the behavior, in my opinion, translates to showing data. Because whenever you talk about this situation, you want to kind of stay away from the personal and look at the data. What does it say? Am I trending the right way? Am I not trending the right way? So it's I'm going to assume that the data is not trending in the right way if it's not being supported. So using that information to have more investigation will point to the direction that, hey, this isn't happening. They're not supporting the role. And then ask the questions, why are you not supporting it? What's going on? How can, how can we transform that from resistance to buy-in? That's what I would do. I would focus on the data, take a person out of it, because when you, when you focus on a person, people get defensive, and that could create a bigger resistance issue for you. So let senior management see the way the data is trending and then help walk them through what, where that's coming from. Uh, so, uh, in conclusion, digital transformation, utilizing organizational change management is a brave new world, right? It's not me. Okay. Uh, and, you know, third stage is definitely help here to help you go through, help you walk through it. So, again, OCM, organizational change, digital transformation, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But, you know, us at Third Stage, we're experts in what we do and we understand the pitfalls and we understand the opportunities. So we can definitely help an organization move through that more successfully. And any questions? I'm, I'm sorry, you only have six minutes, but man, I, I'm telling you, I could talk about this all day. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Again, it was a user error. I thought for sure this started in an hour, but it's like, okay. Go with the flow. You got to change, right? That's who we are. Change management. We're flexible. We're there adaptable. We go with yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if you could just talk for a quick minute, um, Teresa, about um, company culture and how that fits within organizational change management. We had some questions regarding that this morning during Eric's keynote. So okay. I wonder if you could kind of just give us uh, a brief overview of how really culture kind of sets the stage for organizational change. Okay. So I'm just going to give you a quick example of how I gauge culture, right? Um, when I walk into a client site, 
Um, I say when we have our first couple of meetings, I am going to have a meeting and we're going to invite, you know, several levels of stakeholders, right? All badges are left at the door. That right there will tell me what type of culture we have. Because if I get a reaction from the higher levels, like, oh, what are you talking about? Then I know, you know what? Maybe the participants won't feel very comfortable with having you in the room. If I can't get a clear, honest, concise understanding of what the problem is, I'm wasting your time and, you're, you know, this isn't going to work. But if I have an organization that welcomes that and everybody is free flowing and, you know, ideas are coming out and every, you know, the, the information isn't stifled, then I know you have a pretty good culture and you're willing to, to get this to work. Now, if I have the first instance, that's my first step in my first work, making sure that it's okay to have the conversations that we need to have to understand what the problem is. But it's very, very important in a nutshell to have the, the culture where, I am inclusive. I need to know what you think. You know what the problems are. I don't. You're the first one to see it. I'm not. Let's work together. Let's create this, this relationship where it is collaborative and it's meaningful and helpful to solve your problems. All right. Thank you, Teresa. That was a great conversation, great presentation, and a lot to follow up on. So we'll take a quick break. And when we're back from a break, Kyler and I will unpack a few of the concepts that she talked about in that session there. So we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 57. Just as a reminder, you can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as well as on all the audio podcast platforms like Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, etc. Um, so, Kyler, we just had Teresa on the show talking about change management, and that was a, a clip from our Digital Stratosphere event, which, by the way, if you missed it in the intro, you can download or, or actually stream all of the presentations that were given at that three-day event, you can go to stratosphere2022.com. Uh, you and I both spoke at it. You facilitated uh, the entire three days, so you, you had the, the hardest job of all of us, I believe. And uh, there were several other speakers, including Teresa and others from third stage, as well as others from outside of third stage uh, teams as well. Um, so what were your, some of your takeaways or kind of the high points from that conversation, in your opinion, Kyler? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Teresa always opens with her um, tagline of if it's not 100% automated, and no business truly is, there needs to be a human component when it comes to organizational change management. And I, I you just kind of have to like sit with that for a minute to notice like that is so exceptionally true. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're building a whole smart manufacturing facility, 
there still has to be some sort of human component involved in that consideration. Um, I'm curious, Eric, because we had a lot of questions um, throughout the event around uh, maybe a toxic team member or uh, a business in which you you can't cultivate a culture of innovation or a culture of transformation. And I loved the way Teresa put that because she usually can go into our most hostile client environment and sit there and listen for hours and hours and hours. And then they say, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And she says, well, why? And, you know, then usually like, they're like, I'm not exactly sure. Um, so I love the way that she kind of talked about kind of digging up and rooting that cause of resistance or objection by simply listening and asking very basic questions. Um, and I guess we haven't really talked a ton about how you go in and kind of monitor a room like that. We've talked about the importance of data, um, but I wondered if you could kind of elaborate on the importance of listening when it comes to organizational change management. Well, I think it's a huge part of change management. In fact, I think it's a huge part of consulting in general, but as well as change management. In fact, um, one of my strong beliefs is that to be a good consultant and definitely even more so a good change management consultant or a change management practitioner is you have to be able to listen, understand, empathize, and ask really good questions. Because I think a lot of where resistance comes from is because you're, you're not listening. You don't understand why I've been doing things this way for 10, 20, 30 years or whatever it is. And if you don't understand, I don't care what, how good the solution is, how much better it is, you don't understand why I'm doing things this way. I take pride in what I've done for the last X number of years, so therefore I'm going to resist it. Maybe it's subconscious, maybe it's not coming from a terrible place, but, but that's general human nature. So I think being able to ask questions and listen and understand and repeat back and demonstrate that understanding, that more than anything, in my opinion, really lowers the barriers and the sources of resistance to change in general. Yeah, and I imagine it must also create or even turn down, uh, you know, a really vital situation with a client that might have a lot of emotion, might have gone through a lot of failure. And here you are, someone is sitting in the room saying, well, this is how you should do it for your business. That can be a vulnerable situation. Um, and I assume just having that ability to really take it all in and listen, create stronger relationships with your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's, um, you know, one of the benefits that I think we have as a company, a third stage of, of being independent and technology agnostic is we're not here to sell anyone on any certain type of software or technology or even technology in general. That's not our job. Our job is to understand what clients' needs are and how they get there. And usually it involves some sort of technology, of course, but we're not here to come in with a predefined answer, which is what most of the industry does because they're out there selling a certain product. So they, they immediately, I guess, out of the gates are coming in and creating unintentionally a situation where you're, you're creating resistance to change because you're coming in with the answer before you've, before you've fully defined what it is that, uh, you know, where you're starting from or what, where your customers are studying, starting from. And right away, you're create, you're going to create resistance because, because of that. I mean, you're coming in to sell a product. I'm going to resist it because you're not understanding why I do things the way I do. It's not that that couldn't be a good product for me, but until you understand this, I'm not going to embrace that future state. And I think that's a, that's, I guess, in some ways, our business model enables us to do that a lot better than a, you know, a technologically aligned or focused company that specializes in just one technology or system. 
Absolutely. And I love the way that Teresa, not only in this presentation, but also just in her overall approach, because she is, um, you know, a business intelligence specialist. She specializes in processes and that type of thing as well, and is able to move that to the human component and really leverage and almost create a story out of the data from those processes to make it clear to different organizations the human impact. And I think that's just so powerful. It's very similar to what John was saying, is you can't argue with data. That's really how you showcase the opportunity and how you really show different organizations that the, the investment in organizational change management it's not optional. If it's not there, you will fail. And I think she does a great way of kind of laying that out throughout the presentation from a, a data component. Yeah, I think that's a true statement that you, you will fail without it. In fact, it's one of the most common reasons for failure that we see when we have a client that has failed or is failing, or in some extreme cases where you've got a lawsuit and we get hired to be an expert witness in those cases. More often than not, change management was a big enabler of that failure or the lack thereof, I should say, the lack of focus on change management. So I, I think it's a, a really important point. And, you know, change management actually uh, permeates an entire transformation, too, because in a lot of ways, it you know, people think that change management is just the obvious resistance to change or it's addressing the obvious resistance to change. But there's like a underlying uh, secondary resistance to change that can be just as uh, damaging. So, for example... Um, a lot of times people assume that the reason projects fail is because they customize the technology too much. And that is true that customization can lead to failure. But if you look at why are companies, why do organizations want to customize so much? Why do they go down these rabbit holes of customizing the heck out of this technology? Usually it's because of resistance to change. So even some of the other reasons for failure somehow trace back to change management, even if you can't directly always see it. Um, usually most of the symptoms that you see in a troubled or distressed project are because of a lack of change management. Yeah, that's really interesting. And just the overall investment impact, right? That risk associated with those customizations are not free. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> putting those in there because you are organization is adverse to change is something that hopefully they have consultants or specialists that can kind of snap that perception back into more of a reality based, you know, and again, back to uh, Teresa's main question, which is always why, why won't that process do this? Or why won't that person do this? Why won't that technology do this? Um, so it's a great approach. And I highly recommend anyone that had watched Teresa's keynote here or listened today, uh, also, check out, uh, she did a panel on business intelligence with um, Brian Lacaruba, who's one of our um, consultants, our managers here at Third Stage. And it's, it's just an amazing polarity between the human side and the very detailed process side. Uh, so a great kind of full picture. And again, you can view all of those um, recordings at stratosphere2022.com. It's completely free. You just register and you're able to view back those recordings. I also highly recommend for anyone that doesn't to join the live streams that Eric does with our great guests on Tuesday mornings because you really get to be in the content cultivation process by asking questions, by engaging in dialogue with people all over the world, which I just think is you know the most beautiful experience to kind of be part of. Um, 
So highly recommend that too. I'm there every Tuesday, so I'll be saying hi. Even if you don't say hi back, that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, just so you know, for those that haven't been involved in those live streams, it's Tuesday mornings, North America time, Eastern time in, the, in North America, uh, which translates to, I think, 3 o'clock in London and I want to say 10 p.m. in Hong Kong, if I remember correctly. So uh, late evening in Asia Pacific, early morning in the Americas and in between in, in Europe and South Africa or in, in uh, Africa. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's good. That's worth noting that uh, the live streams we do every Tuesday are worth listening in on and get your, your questions answered to you. It's a good way to interact with us live as well. So, well, good. Well, this is good stuff. Thanks for all the great uh, conversation here today, Kyler. And uh, thanks to our, our guests, Teresa and John Heiliger, for being on the show here today as well. So I want to thank everyone for joining here today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review on wherever you're listening or watching to this podcast. And be sure to check out new episodes every Wednesday on wherever you're listening or watching here today. So hope you have a great rest of your week. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Transformation Ground Control. 